Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. With just three weeks left, our CBS News poll shows Hillary Clinton with a nine-point lead, and no trailing candidate has ever made up a deficit that big this late. You saw our poll out this morning, 50 to 38. That's the biggest margin we've shown in any of our polls. Number one, is that what you all think is happening with the race right now? Is it over? Time is running out for Donald Trump. And then even among men, she is winning within the margin of error, 44 to 41. If those numbers remain anything like that, you could be looking at not just a loss, but a blowout. It's not over till it's over, but no candidate down this far this late has ever recovered. Donald Trump is down 17 points among women. You do not get elected president of the United States if you are down 17 points among women. In Florida, Hispanic early voting is up 139 percent from this point in 2012, driven in part by Trump's comments about Mexicans. He could win all the battleground states, sweep out west, Florida, North Carolina, Ohio, and he still would come up short. Hillary Clinton is increasingly looking beyond Donald Trump. Her transition team now eyeing Vice President Joe Biden for a possible top job. Here's the cold hard truth for them. Their best case scenario, if they do everything right, they lose with 266 electoral votes. I think she's got about a 95% chance in this election, and I think she's going to have a higher margin than Barack Obama did in 2012. If she just holds the states that favor her, look, on the top, 275 electoral votes, more than the 270 she needs to win. So at this point, if you look at the map, Hillary Clinton already crossed the finish line at 274. She's going to win by more than 5 billion votes. She's going to win by a higher percentage. And interestingly, she's going to have a more diverse coalition of voters than Barack Obama even had when you look at the final numbers in this race. On the brink of history, as the country decides whether to elect its first woman president, Clinton is trying to end on a high note. A top Clinton campaign official tells me the mood inside the campaign right now, focused, energized, and aiming to stay on offense. Hillary Clinton clearly feels she is on the verge of going where no woman has ever gone. She's talking about becoming the first woman president, and this is where the founders met. And just think about what history she could be making tomorrow if she's successful. different than it was a few hours ago when people were happy and relaxed. There are people who are just in shock and they are just stunned at the idea that they were completely sure they were coming to this event to celebrate Hillary Clinton becoming the first female president and now they are confronting the reality that they could be walking out of here perhaps expecting that Donald Trump is going to become president. Everybody should head home. You should get some sleep. 
And I want every person across the country who supported Hillary to know that your voices and your enthusiasm means so much to her and to Tim and to all of us. You are in all of our hearts. Thank you. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It's the 10th of November, year of our Lord, 2017. And I got to do a short segment on the year anniversary. How can I not? With all the crazy we've gone through, half the country, thanks to the media and the Democrats, doesn't even recognize that Trump's the president. So, I mean, you got to go through the stages of grief, which we still haven't completed, I guess. But, yeah. Yeah, this is going to be a good podcast, going to cover a couple subjects, hit some crazy college stuff, and we're going to cover some Texas, but i got to start with election night last year. Remember before we started, this is Huffington Post, they're no different than New York Times, 538, WAPO, Hillary Clinton's got a 98.1% chance of winning. Yeah, that's what they told us. But to show you, once again, that nothing's changed in a year for the left, Michael Solnick, my four-year-old son, Matteo Ali, said to me during the 2016 election that he wants to be Hillary Clinton when he grows up. That's all I need to hear about how impactful she was and has been and will be on our country's future. Thank you, Hillary, from the bottom of my heart. Because, as in all things with the left, they hashtag everything. Hashtag justice, hashtag emotions, just hashtag. So there was a hashtag, thank you Hillary. More on that in a second, but here are some of the replies. What a profound, beautiful sentiment from a four-year-old boy. Your son is so unbelievably fortunate to have such socially evolved, politically active, enlightened parents. He will be a leader one day. Did I hear cult? I think I heard cult somewhere in the background. Somebody else did a nice little pie chart. Percentage that this happened? None. That it didn't happen? 100%. Because <laughs> I don't think a four-year-old kid said that. A four-year-old kid did not say those things. That's That's just straight-up bullshit. But to the hashtag, uh, conservatives took it over. I want to say hashtag thank you, Hillary, for rigging the primary to ensure you got the nomination. Any other Democrat would have probably won, and that would have been allowed them to replace Scalia with some fantastic progressives. So hashtag thank you, Hillary. I really mean it. Hashtag caring. Sparkle Mega, has it been a year already? We laughed. They cried. America got one step closer to being great again. Ah, the memories. Hashtag thank you, Hillary. Somebody else tweeted just pictures of the media melting down with hashtag thank you, Hillary. Hashtag thank you, Hillary, for banning your supporters at 3 a.m. and being the first losing president candidate in 50 years to not concede with a public speech. Media will never hold her to that, but that's a true statement. Makata, liberals are tweeting thank you, Hillary, exactly one year after she lost to Trump. Thank you for losing, Hillary. Josh, thank you, Hillary, for lying under oath, having an illegal private server, deleting 33,000 emails, smashing subpoenaed evidence with hammers, rigging the primary against Bernie. Thank you, Hillary, for making phony black 
accents mainstream again. <laughs> Thank you, Hillary, for respecting the election. And it just goes on. It just goes on. People even rigged the following soundbite, which I think is a good way to end this little vignette. They go that way. If the lean Republican and likely Republican go red, and the lean Democrat and likely Democrat go blue, if you sign those out that way, and then you say that Donald Trump has the best day in the entire world, completely outperforms expectations, and he wins all of the toss-up states. He wins all five of those states, plus that electoral college vote in Maine that he's after. If he wins all of the toss-ups, which would be insane, because nobody wins all of the toss-up states. Even if Donald Trump did win all of the toss-up states, he would still lose. will win in Kentucky with its eight electoral votes. In Indiana with its 11 electoral votes. West Virginia, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Mississippi, South Carolina, Alabama with its six electoral votes. Nebraska with its five electoral votes. And Wyoming with its three electoral votes. North Dakota uh, with its three electoral votes. And South Dakota, Texas, Arkansas, Anna. The state of Montana, Ohio, North Carolina, Georgia, Iowa, Utah, Wisconsin, Arizona. Donald Trump will be the 45th president of the United States, winning the most unreal, surreal election that we have ever seen. His candidacy starting on an escalator ride one year ago and going down against 16 Republican candidates. What started off as unlikely, impossible, is now reality. He said he was always a winner. This did not come without controversy. The billionaire, entrepreneur, TV reality star has defeated the candidate once figured to be undefeatable. Besting Secretary of State Hillary Clinton in an electoral college victory that Virtually no one saw coming. So I did not say thank you, Hillary, nor will I, because Hillary has made the country worse, as I knew she would, even as a losing presidential candidate. She did not respect the outcome of the election. She's divided our country more. But that's what Democrats do. When they can't win, they divide. When they do win, they divide. They divide to win. How am I true on that? The governor's race. Before I even start, folks, understand, these are blue states. Democrats are supposed to win. But as you'll see with our media... Unlike the time when Obama lost a thousand seats nationwide from 2008-2016, they never ever called it referendums, tidal waves, they didn't really call them anything. Well, I gotta sound by Anderson Cooper, kinda did. But they always excused it, or they talked poorly of the Tea Party, and now, you know, you don't even hear them talk about the resistance crowd that is being all freaking crazy. But, Per SOP, the same old characters came together for simple governor races. And for those that have been with the podcast, last couple podcasts, 
you know, this is the Gillespie stuff. And Gillespie with the evil, you know, he's got a bumper sticker hunting down Latino kids and killing them. You know, that kind of crazy shit. So Cecile Richard came out. Together, Planned Parenthood supporters knocked on over 350K doors, talked to over half a million voters, held over 850 events, and coordinated more than 1,300 volunteer shifts. Together, we said loud and clear that when we vote at the ballot box, we'll vote for reproductive health champions. PPFA. Supposed a non-profit that gets $550 million of your money and kills a million ninety-six thousand frickin' babies a year was out in these races, just like they were with the Ostoff that didn't go their way. Of course, we don't know how much money they put into it. How much of your money do you think they put into it? That institution's fucking horrible. That's all I'm going to say. But they were involved. Evan McMullen... Ed Gillespie was one of the good guys, but now he peddles fear and white nationalism. It's better for VA and America that he not prevail. Trump derangement syndrome. Phil Kirpin. Listen to Big Mullen. If you are also so poisoned by Trump derangement that you know, now think opposing sanctuary cities is white nationalism. He's supposed to be a conservative. Mark Hemingway. So Evan McMullen would rather Virginia have unfettered abortions on demand than a liberal Republican as governor. Got it. Mm-hmm. So the first tidal wave came from Dave Wasserman. This is a tidal wave. You can't really look at tonight's results and conclude the Democrats are anything other than the current favorites to pick up the U.S. House. And it went through the night. So many people. So many. There's some voices of reason. Here and there, Joe B. Pollock was. Democrats just won two blue states. No big deal, except that Republicans won both in 2009, kicking off a Tea Party wave. GOP needs to get his act together. It's a wake-up call. But these are blue states. Holder, before the vote, this is an attorney general. Because remember, Democrats get to keep the title for the rest of their life, even though they left. Madam secretaries, which you always heard. You don't... Hear that for any Republicans, but okay. Holder encouraged Democrats of Virginia to vote today in huge numbers because voting machines get lost. That's how far they went into the fear factor to win these races. People are in pickups running over your Latino kids from the Gillespie crew, and voting machines get lost? Really? Really? Are you sure? This is the same guy that said there is no such thing as voter fraud. Same guy says we don't need IDs because they're racist. IDs are racist. That's what he said when he was attorney general. So as you can expect, this is a very heavy media bashing podcast. Here's the media. These people had an orgasm. The vote is so clear here, two to one in Virginia, three to one in New Jersey. They wanted to send a message to Trump. Yeah, they sent a message to Trump big time. But I think the big takeaway that I had from it is the level of diversity and inclusion that happened on election night. If you not only a first transgender uh, person elected you know, in, to office in Virginia, the first Sikh elected to office mm-hmm. in a major city, the first gay uh, mayor of Seattle, the first uh, African-American woman elected Charlotte. mayor of Charlotte, the first woman mayor of Manchester. I mean, 
it was a night of total diversity, and I think that not only a rejection of Trump, it was basically a rejection of what he stood for. And the divisions we've seen o over the last year. It's always strange bedfellows when you're someone like Gillespie, who was a lobbyist and sort of the very definition of a swamp creature trying to become Trump. Across the country, the 2017 election saw big wins for a highly diverse group of candidates. Chip Reed introduces us. Chris Hurst was a TV All news anchor in southwest Virginia two years ago when his reporter girlfriend was fatally shot by a former station employee during an outdoor live broadcast. The grieving Hurst decided to run for the Virginia House of Delegates as a Democrat in a Republican area and won. I think she would, of course, be incredibly proud. Uh, I also think that she would immediately be bending my ear to make sure that I fulfill on the promise that I don't just uh, talk the talk, that I walk the walk, too. Democrat Danica Rome made history in Virginia by winning a seat in the House of Delegates. She will be the state's first openly transgender lawmaker. She defeated a conservative Republican who sponsored a bill to dictate which bathroom transgender people can use. Thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> One of the other big winners last night was Chris Hurst who won a state delegate seat you might remember him he lost his girlfriend Allison Parker who is a local television reporter in Roanoke Virginia she was shot and killed along with her photojournalist live on air Chris will join me and my partner Ali Belshti live at 11 a.m. you don't want to miss it talk about a win that was a win for America so it has been it was a good night all round Stephanie for uh, for Republicans it, no, it wasn't. For Democrats. There you go. I, well, I had a 50% chance of being <laughs> right, right? Either Republicans or Democrats had a really good night last night. Also, one of the big stories that I really want to focus on from election night, Danica Rome. This transgender woman was elected to Virginia's House of Delegates. She beat out Bob Marshall. He's held that seat for 26 years. But Why that's not really the most interesting part. Why the, does irony, it the irony in this wit is she beat the guy who proposed the anti-transgender bathroom law in Virginia. Let that sink in for a minute. He also describes himself as Virginia's chief homophobe. So Virginia's chief homophobe lost last night. That's what Virginia told you mattered, sir. Virginia, what is it for lovers? Mm. Virginia didn't love that. All right, we got breaking news out of Boston. A new allegation of sexual assault against actor Kevin Spacey. Right now, in an emotional announcement, Boston News anchor Heather Unruh is describing Spacey's alleged sexual assault of her son. She's joined by Michel Garabadian, an attorney for famous, uh, who's famous for representing victims in Boston's Catholic ch uh, Church sex scandal. As I'm reading these comments, they're just stunning. Since late October, Kevin Spacey has faced a growing list of sexual harassment and assault allegations. NBC News has confirmed at least three other accusers. The fallout first began when actor Anthony Rapp told BuzzFeed news of the then 26-year-old Spacey's sexual advances towards him when he was just 14 years old. Let's, uh, let's talk about guns and gun control. You ran against somebody with an A rating from the NRA. That's not unfamiliar territory in Virginia. Uh, what, what are your views on, on guns and what level of control can be helpful to preventing these kinds of deaths? So the election day results are in. Democrats gained some serious ground in key races. New Jersey, the state where I spent time, ended the Chris Christie era by electing Phil Murphy as governor. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Virginia also has a new Democratic governor after Ralph Northam beat Ed Gillespie. Now, some say this is a rebellion against the guy in the White House, but the guy in the White House says Gillespie lost because he, quote, didn't embrace me. So one wonders, which is it? Which is it? Well, neither did Melania, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... <laughs> But, um, but, um, no, there was actually an interesting stat on, um, you know, you can, uh, you can try to assume whether it was anti-Trump or pro-candidate. And it said half of voters in Virginia said that Trump was a factor in their vote and they opposed the president by a two to one margin. Mm -hmm. So I think in that instance it might be. But what really excited me actually, and I think everyone can get on board out, was this was the highest turnout for a gubernatorial race in over yeah. 20 years. Yeah. And that, It was at a 20-year low in 2016, right. just over half voting, and this was up. Right. It was the yeah. highest. So it means people are participating, and, that, well, and there that's were more, the most important part. And there were more women who voted this time than did for Hillary Clinton, even. Wow. So, because women are beginning to see that elections have consequences. Yeah. And Americans it, are starting to see your health care will be gone. Well, that you know, was they a don't factor believe in for climate a lot of change. Health care. Health care. Yes. Yeah, health care was, was a lot. I was very interested, and I, I think it was maybe not so much a referendum against Trump, but of the values and the policies that he is embracing. Because in Maine, in terms of health care, it became the first state to vote to expand Medicaid coverage under Obamacare, under the Affordable Care Act. So in other words, an overwhelming majority voted to do the exact opposite of what, right. the, what the government and what um, the governor had been trying to do. Uh -huh. So they wanted to expand yeah. um, the Affordable Care Act. So it's all good news. Yeah, yeah. because no people yeah. are clapping. And with this race so close, both sides have used scare tactics in their political ads. Run, run, run. The Latino Victory Fund, a liberal PAC, had to take down this ad depicting minority children running from a Gillespie supporter in a pickup truck with a Confederate flag. Gillespie fired back with his own ad, criticizing Northam for supporting restoring voting rights to felons, including a suspected child pornographer. I'm a pediatrician, and for Ed Gillespie to say I would tolerate anyone hurting a child is despicable. So clearly this race has gotten very heated. Yeah, you've never heard this, ever, under Democratic president. And before I give you audio proof of this, here's CNN once again. I want you to understand how the Democrats won these seats in the states that are blue. But by no means do I think the Republicans are doing great. I think both parties are totally fucking horrible right now. And I do believe there are going to be some seat changes come the midterms. But I just want you to understand... They did not win it on policies. They did not win it on where Americans want to go. They won it on fear. Not only of voter fraud, like Holder said, but the Gillespie ad needs to stick in the craw of every American. And here's CNN outright defending it again. Up into the wire, they were defending that horrible ad. But it's against this most unlovely and undignified uh, campaign the way that Ed Gillespie ran it. And I know Ed, and he oh, should be ashamed of himself. President Trump ran, he ran a racist, divisive set of ads, and he should be ashamed of himself. Well, yeah, like the Latino Victory Fund ad. The Latino Victory Fund ad was, are you was, calling that ad racist? Because what it did was call out racism. Ed Gillespie. So that was a disgusting. Uh, what was himself. disgusting is Ed Gillespie 
stoking the worst parts of American people. That's what's disgusting. There's nothing disgusting Wait, about calling so out racism. A Democratic ad where they're, a Democratic getting, ad? Getting a, where they're getting a where they're you, where they're pretending they're going to go and drive some kids down. The ad, the ad was no. The ad You're was young, the ad was kids of color running, and what they were running from was a truck with a bumper sticker with the Confederate flag on it and an Nope, they were saying Ed Gillespie was running a really racist campaign. And if you don't like that type of stuff, don't vote for Ed Gillespie in Virginia. This is a group of Latino Victory Fund, and it ran an ad. I think it ran once, mm -hmm. and the candidate, the Democratic candidate, disavowed it right away. He and I think it was an outrageous ad. It was totally unfair, and it came off right away. That somehow that that is the equivalent of Ed Gillespie putting his name and his image on race baiting ads, which he did day after day after day, is not the same. That's a completely let's, unfair. Let's watch comparison. this ad, and then we'll talk about it. Here it is. There are lots of people in America, specifically in Virginia, that felt directly attacked. Um, by a Ed Gillespie candidacy, the type of race he was running. And while Paul may not agree with the ad, many other people, I think it was also right politically for Ralph Northam to disavow the ad. Um, but the fact of the matter is, Ed Gillespie ran a really racist campaign. Mm -hmm. That Many people have said that's not who he is. That's who he was in this election. And if folks are upset for people about people calling out racism, um, I think you should be more upset about the racism and the racist tactics. Okay, this is yeah, they defended it. And the first sound bites you heard, the ending was ABC finally even talked about the ad, but then they tried to equate something that Gillespie said about him, which is not as heinous as what the left was doing. But if we flash back to 2009, CNN never saw it that way. 2009, those same races had little to do with Obama presidency. At the time, CNN rarely even hinted that the election could be a referendum on Obama and quickly dismissed the idea when it was mentioned. On CNN's Liar King Live on November 4th, 2009, BET News host Jeff Johnson dismissed the losses as something that typically happens to the party in power. Well, all I think he said, I mean, clearly there, there have always been, seems to be a referendum against the ruling party. We saw it. I think it's been mentioned with the Republicans in 06. We're saying the same thing. On November 4th, 2009, an American Morning CNN chief political correspondent Candy Crowley, the liberal troll, argued that while election wasn't great optics for Obama administration, it was a condemnation of him. In the end, the Democrats are looking at the numbers because while this may not have been an election, a referendum on Barack Obama certainly does say something about the president. Yeah. Here's an audio proof. This is how they acted in 2012. By this time, he had lost a lot of seats. But do you hear it here? Chris Christie, we project, will be reelected as the governor of New Jersey for another four years. Being Barbara Bono, uh, based on the exit poll results, other information we're getting, Chris Christie easily moves forward and gets a second term. Let's bring in John King over at the Magic Wall. Not a huge surprise. He was way, way ahead in all of the polls, but now formally we have made this projection. We've made this projection, and it looks like this will be a landslide for Chris Christie. Not just a re-election win, but a landslide. And he will make the case, Wolf, starting tomorrow morning, a message to the National Republican Party about what it takes to win the White House back in 2016. Among the reasons, Chris Christie, 53% of the voting population in New Jersey today are women. That's red for a reason. Chris Christie, according to our exit polls, is carrying the women's vote against a female Democratic opponent, 56%. Remember the gender gap in both Obama races against John McCain and Mitt Romney, 
Chris Christie will make the case, look at that, I can win among women. Let's move it over. That's not it. That's not the only thing he will do. He's winning overwhelmingly the white vote. But I want to show you this. 14% of the electorate tonight in New Jersey, African-Americans. Obviously, it's blue because they're going for his Democratic opponent, Barbara Buono. But Chris Christie getting 21% of the African-American vote in our exit poll. That is up from 9% four years ago. So Chris Christie will say, not only am I doing better than a McCain or a Romney, but I have built support over the last four years among African-Americans. Another key constituency, not so much in New Jersey. Latinos only make up 8% of the population in New Jersey, but they're critically important in many of the swing states. Wolf, as you know, again, Chris Christie getting nearly half, 45% of the Latino vote four years ago. That number was 32%. He can go and make the case to national Republicans now among voters where we have been weak. I am not only performing strong, but improving. Yeah. So, Paul Begala, I mean, I just was reading a Times article where there was a uh, anonymous uh, quote from somebody in the White House saying that the president does not view what happened tonight as a, as a repudiation. You look at those numbers, how can he not? Because he hasn't had time to digest it. He's an incredibly bright man, and he's actually more dispassionate about this business than anybody I've ever known in this business. He'll come to this. He'll look at the data and, and arrive at this conclusion, which is, set aside all my screaming about the kook right and the tea party. He got 51, 52, 53 percent in all the states John King just showed us just two years ago. Now he's down to 40, 41, 42. So somewhere between one-fourth and one-fifth of the Obama people no longer have faith in him in these swing states. Many of them expressed it by staying home, particularly unmarried women, which is a big part of the coalition that I think Jake was talking about. But many of them did actually go vote against the, the, their local Democrat because they're disappointed in him. He's going to have to come to grips with that and find a way to, to fight back. He's a resilient guy and he's a bright guy, but that's, that's his path forward. He's got to really look at the man in the so mirror. So how does a politician go about doing that? I've watched uh, a guy do it uh, once upon <laughs> a time. And it, it begins with criticizing yourself rigorously, and it's painful. But then you do also have to reach out to the other side. It's amazing that we're going to look back at the good old days of Newt Gingrich as being bipartisan. Now, they impeached him. I don't know if it made all the papers for you guys. But they impeached <laughs> my boss, but still he worked with them. But they worked with him, too. And the voters, see, this is my point about the voters. The fault of Brutus lies not in the stars, it lies in ourselves. Voters rewarded Newt and Bill for compromising, and now they're going to punish anybody who compromises want, on the Republican side. I want to toss it over to Jake Tapper. has got a projection, Jake. That's right, Anderson. This one's going to leave a mark. CNN now projecting that the Maryland governor will be Republican Larry Hogan. In true blue state, Maryland, the lieutenant governor, the Democrat Anthony Brown, has conceded to Larry Hogan, the Republican. Let's take a look uh, at the map, if we could, uh, to see all the states where there have been pickups by Republicans as well as uh, outstanding information. You can see uh, red Maryland right there. In addition, red Illinois. Uh, also, uh, quite surprising for a lot of people watching these races. We're still uh, waiting for results from Connecticut and Massachusetts, Vermont and Maine. There's a lot going on tonight. And Anderson, I have to say, um, I don't think very many people were predicting this yeah. evening that uh, a governor of, of Maryland and a governor of Illinois <laughs> would be Republican. And this gets to what we were talking about earlier. This is a yeah. Republican wave. There is no other way to look at it. And, and, and though there was anti-incumbent sentiment out there, the Republican incumbents, Snyder in Michigan, uh, uh, Scott in Florida, Scott Walker in Wisconsin, they won. It was a wave and a late breaking wave. I just got an email from somebody who was working in these Maryland races who said that Brown, the Democrat, was up 13 points less than two weeks ago. Wow, so it was a late-breaking wave, and this is sort of in keeping with what I was hearing from Democratic sources who were doing the Senate races, that they just saw the bottom fall. Have they, zero, have, they, 
have they keyed in on particular issues? On why? Not yet. No. Not yet. Not I that, that I've. There was a huge number of undecideds too, in a lot of these races we would see like fifteen, sixteen percent undecided, and eventually they. Let's just quickly know. look at the numbers right now for for some of these races outstanding. Connecticut governor, uh, well, hundred and four votes right. right now is separating Tom Foley. Tom Foley actually in the lead there, hundred four votes uh, ahead of Dan Malloy, who, by the way, President Obama went out and campaigned for in Massachusetts. Right. Charlie Baker, a Republican, ahead. 28,900, almost 29,000 votes with 88% uh, of the, the vote uh, counted. And uh, take a look in Vermont, uh, the Democrat uh, Peter Shul uh, Shumlin, uh, ahead by uh, 2,675. I, I believe in Vermont, if, the, if, the, if no candidate gets more than 50%, it goes to the legislature. Mm -hmm. I'm, pr I'm pretty sure that that's the way. So, so if neither Shumlin nor Milne uh, break 50%, that's going to go to the legislature. And I'll tell you who this is proving to be a very good night for is Chris Christie. Well, I was just the head of the Republican Governors Association who traveled all over the country. He was like the Holy Spirit in all places at all times. He put in a lot of money. He put $18.5 million, the RGA did, into Florida. And I think he picked winners. Well, not the night that I think even they won. Not to take anything away from Chris Christie and all the work that he did, but he ought to be calling President Obama and thanking him well, for some of these races, because I guarantee you, Chris Christie was Chris did not expect to win the governor's race in let, let me Chris, say a few It was quick pro quo for Sandy. Right, with, oh, okay. Right. Let, let what do you think, Kevin? Let me, see, let me just Fan? say a few, a few things about Obama. You, you were saying, and people were saying, uh, he's got to reach out to Republicans. He's also got to reach out to his base. Uh, his base stayed home. Uh, and uh, this is not a left-wing period in American politics. It's not a right-wing period. It is a turbulent volatile period. You've seen power bounce all over the place, and I'm going to tell you how this president can make a mistake. Uh, first of all, he made a promise to the Latino community on immigration. If this president throws that promise in the garbage can, this president will destroy the Obama coalition forever. He cannot back down from that. Number two, if the only olive branches are olive branches that come at our expense, for instance, minimum wage is popular with Republicans. Extending unemployment insurance is popular with Republicans. He cannot come forward with only bipartisan stuff that comes at our expense. He's got to be a, a bipartisan. He's got to put forward some bipartisan stuff that actually is bipartisan for their base and ours but too. He'll do and the third thing, I'm sorry. No, he'll do an executive action on immigration. He, but, he will do it, that. Well, well, she was just saying that, that uh, if that happens, see that's I what was talking well, about. He, I was he, 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 on what it, what it is. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the idea that President Obama now has to return to energizing his base is absurd. I really no, no. If you look at what Paul said earlier about Bill Clinton's successful path back, Bill Clinton at his core was a centrist. Bill Clinton at his core was an amazing executive. Uh, and at his core, he had very good relationships with Capitol Hill. I mean, you used to hear people, uh, stories from folks up on Capitol Hill that were no votes, and Bill Clinton would spend an hour on the phone with them. And then they would get off the phone and they'd say, imagine what he's doing with the maybes. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, now, President Obama is not a centrist. If, he's, if, he, if he wants to go and counterattack and feel like he has to gen up his base, that's going to cause some problems. He has no relationships up on Capitol Hill. And those are going to be the really important things that he's going to have respond to turn around to if he is going respond to, to this, get that path back. Well, I'm saying that there are bipartisan ideas. Uh, a pathway to citizenship is popular in both parties. Minimum wage, popular in both parties. There are bipartisan ideas that his base feels frustrated about, that he needs to actually make sure he gins that up, too. Do you think and that's I'll possible? I'll tell you, if he, you think does, that's possible? if he does what he, everybody thinks he's going to do on, immig on immigration with an executive action, that will poison the well. 
yeah. for any future cooperation on anything. Why but, does but, he but, have to? I mean, Dan, why do you think he? Why do you think he has to play to his base at this point? Well, because, does he have to play to getting something done? The last two years, not sitting around and being irrelevant is. Because Dan is his boss, he wants him to play to him. No, no listen, no, the, the, path, the pathway to getting something done. Both parties have a challenge. The Republicans have a Tea Party base that they're going to have to deal with, and there's a progressive base that has to be dealt with. And the art of, art of leadership is to find those ideas that get the base reengaged and also let you reach across. And if he, if he fails to do that, he's going to have a hard time delivering. All right, let's just take a deep breath, hold on to it. Marijuana is on the ballot in several states. <laughs> <laughs> so just remember, blue states, it's never, ever a referendum for Democrats, and the hypocrisy goes on. So before we go into a quick music break and get into our close loop, I had to cover, yes, you know, the ninth was the Boston Scream of the Sky. But then I didn't know that it was more than that. Chicago, outside Trump Tower. Lubbock, Texas. Brooklyn, New York. Dallas, Texas. Centerville, Maryland. Austin, Texas. Baltimore, Maryland, Edwardsville, Illinois, Wills Bar, Pennsylvania, New York City, Washington Square Park, Denver, Colorado, Salt Lake City, Grand Junction, Colorado, Philadelphia, Corning, Bellingham, Washington, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Nashville, Tennessee, I could find nothing about the Nashville one, Rochester, Los Angeles, New Haven, Miami, Est Park, Colorado, Fort Collins, Colorado, and Indianapolis, Indiana. Mike, executive, is his handle. These scream helplessly at the sky events seem even more pointless when you realize these people have been helplessly screaming for 365 days. Wide awake, ex-dem. So, coming together in prayer in the wake of tragedy is ridiculed by the same folks who are participating at the scream helplessly at the sky event scheduled around the U.S. today. Damn, I'll never be tired of no longer being a Democrat. Laugh out loud. So as we go to a music break, and on the other side, we're going to have our opening salvo of media bias on Texas. We're going to close the loop on Texas. Here is just a taste of the Boston Scream event. Understand, I've edited this down. It's still a minute and some odd seconds of them just screaming at the sky. And as these very astute Twitter handler or Twitter users Stated, and there's thousands of them, I just picked two. They have not stopped screaming. And what does that say about them?
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. Uh, do you think that there should be any limits at all to the Second Amendment? 
Uh, any what again? Any limits at all to the Second Amendment? You can't scream fire in a crowded theater. That's a limit to the First Amendment. Should there be any limits at all to the Second Amendment? Well, I mean, I, I think there are some limits already. I think there are, are some they? laws that are... Well, I, I mean, not everybody can get a gun. Uh, I mean, there is some... Uh, some uh, some background. Uh, there is not, some but that's cases not consistent where, around the entire where, country. Well, again, let me answer your question again. You asked me, there are some limits. There are some limits right now uh, to the Second Amendment. Do I believe in the Second Amendment? Yes. Do I believe in the First Amendment? Yes. Until we make some changes to the Constitution, those are some of the basic constitutional rights that we have. Uh, but I was just hoping uh, to find out whether or not you think there should be any limits, and I presume your answer is no. No, I, I just told you there are some limits under the law right now. Congressman Quaylar, thank you very much for your time. In the past five weeks, three acts of mass murder have shaken America. Two mass shootings and a terror attack have left 92 Americans dead and more than 500 injured. President Trump says the latest attack was a mental health issue, not a gun issue. So what will Congress do about that? 26 people killed, 20 injured while they were at a Sunday church service. Um, has Congress just sort of decided that this is the cost of living in the United States in a country with 270 million guns on the streets? This guy did a year in jail for assault of his wife and child. He was kicked out of military service as a result. How could this guy get a gun? Yeah, um, it can happen just, anywhere. Uh, this is what's happening now. I mean, look at Charleston. Look at what happened in that church service. Look at what happened to you. You were playing baseball in Virginia in the morning with your colleagues and a gunman opened fire. I mean, do you have a feeling of enough is enough? But, but why doesn't it seem that Congress ever does anything? What's happened with bump stocks, for just, instance? Just is that, uh, what do you, I mean, having been a victim of it now yourself, yeah. What do you think is the solution? What can happen today? I don't, I don't think there's any one solution, but there are what things that help? we can do. Uh, Why isn't Congress acting? Well, it's been 35 days. Let's waiting, do something. Waiting for, to see what the agencies do on their own. If they don't act, then Congress will. And, and what's and the so, time frame on that? Um, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, I know that it, it seems like uh, we never take action it on, this. Like on this. It's a, lot, it's a lot easier for uh, the agencies to move on something like this. I hope they do. But if they don't, Congress needs to act on this. Within the next month? Um, I would think so. I would think that's enough time for the agencies to actually come back and say we can do this. I don't know, uh, Senator. It just feels so hopeless. You know, after every one of these, we all say, well, there's nothing. maybe there's nothing we can do. I don't know. We have to change attitudes. Do you think that this is a mental health issue, as the president said? Do you think there's any element of this that is a guns issue? Um, I don't, we don't know enough yet. Uh, we don't know, you know, what kind of weapon or uh, if it was uh, automatic I mean, or semi-automatic. Semi he had a semi-automatic weapon and right. that he had done time for assault. Is that okay? Well, if he, we, we don't know how he got the weapon, if that uh, came up or should have come up. I, I, would think it, I think it should come up uh, if somebody's done time like that. And can uh, you do something about that? Um, when we find out more information. But, I, you know, we're, we're less than 24 hours. It happened again. A shooting, then tweets, thoughts and prayers. Who would ever think a thing like this could happen? And on gun control, any debate delayed. But shortly after the president took office, he signed a measure rolling back a regulation that made it harder for some people with mental illnesses to purchase guns. 
Critics said the rule, which affected about 75,000 people, violated the Second Amendment. In Tokyo, the president said now is not the time to talk about gun control. But there's no evidence yet that the suspect was ever diagnosed with a mental health disorder which may explain why he was able to obtain a Ruger AR-556 rifle within days of it being named the NRA's Gun of the Week. And while U.S. levels of mental illness are comparable to those in other Western countries, our rate of firearm homicides is 6 to 16 times greater. There are cultural questions that just matter, that we avoid or we just don't have good answers to. Uh, one of the things that winds up being prickly here is how we define it. People will say, well, when the brown guy did it in New York City, it's terror. But when the white guy does it, it's not. People misunderstand, I think, the legally the, the contextual relationship between the word terrorism and investigations. I've asked you this before, I'm asking you again now. What does it take for something to be terror to investigators? Yeah, pretty sure. straightforward. If he's motivated by a political motivation, that is, he's protesting, for example, U.S. engagement in Iraq or Syria, he's protesting racial issues in the United States, which is political, that goes into terrorism. If he's simply angry because of something that's happened in his life, maybe similar to what we saw in Las Vegas, that's not terror. That's simple violence, and that's insanity. I, I'm guessing in this case we're going to find that he, as the president has suggested, had some mental health issues. That doesn't necessarily take me to terror. Mm. I mean, people, I think, confuse who does it with why they do it, and you guys are focused on yeah. why it's done and how you can make that manifest in terms of agenda. So now we're at a place where you get shot at a concert, at a school, at a movie theater, and now in church. Do you now think that we have to think this is a new normal in this country for the citizens who live here? Just last week, we saw a person use a truck uh, to mow down people in a bike lane. Uh, as you know, we've seen uh, bombings uh, at concerts in, in uh, London as well as knife stabbings. And so but right we, we now need we're just focusing on the guns. When, right now I, we're just focusing I, I, on the guns. What is it going to take, and, in your and, opinion? And, 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 and that is what you're focusing on. Uh, and it's important but, that we go back to the fundamentals of our faith-based uh, nation. Uh, praying and, and hugs are good. We all agree. God. We all agree. Praying and hugs are very good. But what can we do to keep these weapons out of people that you bought, you were saying yourself are evil? What can we do? Okay. Brett, repealing the Second Amendment. Go. Look, I'm not against people owning guns. All sorts of people have highly credible and legitimate reasons right. to own guns. But so long as we have a Second Amendment, there is no good legal argument. You'll, you're going to disagree, but there's no good legal argument why someone can't own, say, 45 rifles. Why, uh, why people who don't have uh, criminal records or haven't um, uh, have passed their background checks can't own uh, sm small arsenals. Okay, but let, let and so the result is the result is what we had now, just yesterday in Texas, is is ubiquitous, and we don't even notice. I mean, it's just been a month since right. 58 people were murdered in Las Vegas. Okay, and so, so this is going to be very. There are a lot of Americans, a lot of Americans who voted. Uh, for me in the past, a lot of Americans uh, that you know who see the Second Amendment and their ability to buy whatever guns they want is deeply symbolic and deeply important as a check against government overreach. Yeah, I, Why is that? I, I understand that. I think it, there's a romantic notion that somehow if, if Leviathan comes to take everything you, you have, you're still going to have a gun with which to protect yourself. I'd like, I'd like 
conservatives to point to a single instance. What is it, the Whiskey Rebellion? Was it the Brinks robbery? Other acts of political violence in the United States where, where conservatives were saying they used their guns to protect their liberties. You, you won't find a single instance. That's a lot to unpack. Katie Turr, no background checks in some states. Total fucking lie. CNN Camerata begging to take guns. Whole group of gun grab with a whole bunch of fake news in it about shit they just don't know as usual. More of it's racist not to call Antifa dude killing churchgoers a terrorist act. It is there, your bon bona fide Antifa. He's in a terrorist organization. It's all over the place. They don't want to report it. CBS getting called out, and they give no fucks. Do you ever see the D.C. mayor get grilled over DNC rhetoric over a dude with an assassination list? Did you ever see that? Well, did you see any Democrats answer for Hodgkinson? But you saw governors, mayors, everybody. Mojo with New York Times journalists, not a single incidence of self-defense. I reported about 50 in two years. And here's a shocker for the media. The guy was shot and killed by a good guy with a gun. So... We'll hit that one of our segments today. But they don't even want to report that. Because, you know, it, it just comes down to narrative. Sally Cohn, Las Vegas, Orlando, Sutherland Springs, Sandy Hook, San Bernardino. The only consistent is not religion, nor ethnicity, nor ideology, but guns. Extremely deadly ones that we have way too easy access to. You forgot New York. Should we ban U-Haul, somebody said. NPR, Kelly was able to purchase firearms because U.S. Air Force failed to enter assault conviction. This motherfucker was in a sale asylum. He was committed. He never should have got a gun. Abbott, Devin Kelly sought to get a license to carry. Texas didn't let him. Abbott again, by all the facts that we seem to know, he was not supposed to have access to guns. So how did this happen? He passed Nick's. He passed Nick's. He was mental and he was an abuser. Air Force fucked up. Understand with Nick's, until they changed the HIPAA, which left's never going to do, you're never going to get the new nut jobs. Kawada Jones, there isn't anything the state can do if it was acquired illegally. No different than if drugs were purchased illegally on the street. Patrick, in short, current gun laws worked, but shockingly, I know, a criminal ignored them. Other information, the deranged gunman who killed 26 churchgoers in Texas was a militant atheist who ran it on Facebook about stupid religious people. Two men... A, a, a rife-wielding plumber shot him with an AR. Overseas is reporting all this shit, all about how he was part, he had Antifa stuff, anti-Trump stuff, he was an atheist, he made fun of freaking people that were religious, creepy, crazy, and weird. Former classmates said Texas gunman was an outcast who preached his atheism online before killing 26. He was an atheist. Notice they're not saying that because most of our media are atheists. 
They hate religion. Geraldo Rivera stepped out on the ledge. God help us, another mass murderer sending prayers to Texas, horrifying, and why we need at least one good guy with a gun everywhere crowds gather. No, you need to take violence towards women, child abuse, and cruelty for the canary in the coal mine that it is. Some feminist. Blue Crew, that is a stunning moronic talking point bought and paid for by the terrorist NRA. When has it ever worked? You want guns in kindergarten? Elmo. 3,000. If only there had been a good guy with a gun when 9-11 happened, he would have shot those evil planes out of the sky. Jesus Christ. That's the stupid shit. I'm not... Uh, uh, I, I just can't read any more tweets by people. It's just fucking horrible. Washington Post. There are only two nearly universal characteristics of mass shooters. They're men. And they use guns. That's a nice hot take. G, uh, Gora Morgan's GP, how can something be nearly universal? Seems it's either universal or it's not. Sort of like a kind of pregnant. Hollywood, vote these NRA lovers out. Hollywood has its standards. President Trump isn't allowed to politicize after a terrorist attack, but after its shooting... In Texas, actors and actresses can shed prayers, the NRA, and the GOP to bits and pieces. While most of the elite offer their thoughts and gun control mixed with prayers, quite a few decided to jump on the concept, thoughts and prayers. After Paul Ryan tweeted it, Will Wheaton, we already read it, you're a sack of shit. Joy Reid, not going to cover, I have a whole section on her. Chelsea Handler decided to blame all the shooting on one party with the GOP tweet. Singer Josh Groban slammed both prayers and Republicans. Prayers are what the victims are doing. If you respond to these attacks with prayers but no action, you're protecting the next murderer. Moby, do you hear me, Trump? Republican NRA, every single gun death is preventable and every single gun death is a result of Trump. That's what he actually said. Moby. Most of you forgot who he is. He was a one-hit wonder. Amy Brennan, vote these NRA lovers out. Director Adam McKay went a bit further, claiming that Shooter must have been a member of the Republican Party. Another part of the problem is the Republican Party doesn't view mentally ill, heavily armed white guys as dangerous. They view them as voters. So sorry, the guy. See, th this is the thing that I, I love about our society right now. It is so easy for the left just to make shit up. And the media never vets anything. They don't vet any of this stuff. They perpetrate it. That's why Hodgkinson fell off the radar. That's why Vegas is off the radar. They protect the Democratic National Committee. That's what they do. But he was an atheist. He was a lefty. This is the second consecutive shooting. Third consecutive shooting. That's by a lefty. We've proven Paddock was a lefty. Hodgkinson had a suicide uh, uh, assassination list. Nobody cares. Yeah. Rosie O'Donnell attacked the NRA. It's interesting that guns are to blame here since even CNN admitted an armed person was able to prevent the deaths by shooting the gunman. Melissa Milano. Virginia, what's your plan to vote? Go to will, IWillVote.com. Find where you can cast your ballot. And they used it for fundraising and for voting reasons. Deborah Messing, Steve Pasquale, Ava DeVerney, Julianne Moore say no to racism. I don't know what that has to 
do with this. They were white people. And then Deborah Messing jumped into the total craziness. Everything's okay, you're safe, with Uncle Sam protecting the NRA and dead people all around it. What I did, and it was retweeted a bunch of times, which made me kind of feel bad at the same time. I did the same person, but the person, the NRA was PPFA and babies were around them. Another person tweeted this ugly fucking picture of a temple that is a AR rifle. NRAs at its base. Our thoughts and prayers are with the victim. The House and Senate bowing to the NRA. I flipped that to PPFA, Dems, and the media literally praying to abortion. Because understand, I, I don't know how many times I have to say this, the NRA has very little to do with the money that's in politics compared to PPFA. The percentage of money put in play by the abortion industry is double what the NRA could ever hope for. It just kept going. Nobody wanted to act, actually recognize that this shit was caused by an atheist, a lefty, and he was taken out by a good guy with the gun. Michael Ian Black, shut the fuck up, you sniveling piece of shit. Everyone needs to shut the fuck up. Because he was getting attacked. Sally Cohn, again, we cannot control whether others hate or turn to violence. We can't control whether they have easy access to deadly mass killing machines. Actual statement. Mass killing machine. Keith Barrett, you mean like pressure cookers, vans, cars, fertilizer, chlorine, poisons, fireworks, private planes, swords, gasolines, and microwaves. But we didn't just stop at Hollywood. Antony E. Gonzalez, Sutherland Springs is a rural Texas. These were all likely 45 voters. This is Carmen Action. Good riddance. Good riddance. Scott Dworkin. It's the morning after the New York City of terrorist attack. Trump's already criticizing it like a disgusting and deranged little boy he is. That came back up. Scott Dworkin. Yes, I'm going to politicize the shit out of mass murders of 20 innocent people in Texas. Deal with it. If by politicize you mean I'm going to fight to get as many guns off the street via a national buyback program and a machine gun ban, then yes. A machine gun ban. They're already banned. But these people don't know this. And I want you to make sure you understand. As we're going through all this, Rand Paul had six broken ribs. Rand Paul was beaten down by another lefty, and he literally... Had a punctured fucking lung. Media skipped that the person was a lefty. Just skipped it. They didn't care. Caleb Howe, I've seen GOP gun laws, NRA, and prayer attack, but as far as not seeing big complaints on anti-Christian bigotry, if you have, please share. Nothing about he's an atheist. As usual, the left did hashtag fuck your prayer. Pastor John Price, do a deep, deep, deep dive into fuck your prayer. There are plenty of examples of anti-Christian bigotry. Think about that. Fuck your prayer. Caleb Howe, wow. 
That's a hashtag. Shut your hypocritical face hole unless you plan on doing more than praying. Fuck your prayer. Roseanne, please play for Texas just coming in reports of shooting at a church. Somebody came back. Fuck your prayer. They do nothing. They need gun control, you piece of ignorant swine. Fuck your prayer. How the fuck, how do these people use a mirror without slashing their own throats in disgust? Southern fried infidel, Ted, you worthless piece of shit. Your insistence on doing nothing while children die for prophets is obscene. Hashtag fuck your prayer. Until our government steps up to solve this very real problem, innocent children will keep dying in the name of prophets. Prophets? What? Deplorable Mike. Those who think praying does anything seem to be in the ones who are ignorant. Fuck your prayers. Meaningless bullshit. Perfect for you and the rest of your spineless crosies. Fuck your prayer. Brian Schatz. Simple idea. Anyone convicted of doing domestic abuse should see their rights under the Second Amendment severely curtailed. And here's where we get into the media. And the left, Senator Flake, proving our point. Seth Davis. It's been a federal law for several decades. NBC News literally asked, will you ever have extreme vetting for people trying to buy guns? It's called NICS. But somehow, NBC, ABC, CNN, all of them, decided to go with this domestic abuse angle to try to cover up that the guy should never have had a gun. He got a gun because the laws we have don't work. But, folks, that's a law. It's the Lautenberg Amendment. Soldiers are kicked out of the Army if they abuse their wife because they can't have a, like, handle a gun. They don't even know it. They have no idea the laws that are already on the books that aren't enforced. The fact is the Air Force fucked up. And Jeff Flake, Durham, Durham uh, a couple other Democrats, because now Flake's a Democrat, so we're going to put, we're, this is his actual tweet, uh, writing a bill with Martin Henrik to prevent anyone convicted of domestic violence being in a criminal or military court to buy a gun. Donald Trump Jr., incredibly proactive considering the law has been on the books since the 90s. Jeff Flake, being proactive means closing the domestic violence loophole exploited by the Sutherland Spring, Texas shooter. You're right. RBE, hi, Senator Flake, big fan of yours. Please, for the love of God, know the facts about this before you speak. It wasn't a loophole. It was a fuck-up. It was a clerical error. But the media, the left, the resistance people, the anti-gun crowd, in their zeal to cover up that a leftist atheist killed a bunch of white people in a church, they don't care about facts. Nobody's... Pointed out on CNN, ABC, NBC, CBS, MSDNC. That's already a law. Which proves the point. We have so many laws already for guns. 
They're unenforceable when the illegal person just going to do illegal shit. The guy wasn't supposed to have a gun. He knew he wasn't supposed to have a gun. He got his hands on a gun. Not to be racist. Chicago is all I have to say. 600 fucking murders. Toughest gun laws in the world. Toughest. But to showcase the intersectionality of bias, and there is no bottom to evil on the left and the media, Joy Reid spent Sunday making a fool of herself on Twitter, spurting off on guns, Jesus, and liberalism. On Sunday, MSDNC AM Joy host Joey Reid decided that she would spend her day making one clueless, deranged, and false statement after another on issues ranging from definition of classic liberalism to guns to the NRA to Sutherland Springs. Let's take the first dumpster fire, dumpster fire tweet, which was on what we, she defined as classic liberal. Classic liberal is an accurate term for a person who supports New Deal economics and social modernity, but does not identify as a socialist. As a friend and town hall weekend editor, Timmy Mead stated, that's essentially the polar opposite of what classical liberal means. There are little litany of outlets that provide correct definitions, but here's Mrs. Institute. Classic liberalism is a term used to designate the ideology advocating private property, an unhampered market economy, the rule of law, constitutional guarantee of freedom of religion and of the press, and international peace based on the free trade. Up until around 1900, this ideology was generally known as simply as liberalism. As a resurgent Josh Hammer tweeted, find me a single person in the country who would identify as both a classic liberal and a supporter of the New Deal economics. It's not there. But alas, she was getting started. Upon hearing of the monster stack on First Baptist Church, the NRA is soaked and bathed in blood. How do its adherents sleep at night? This comic came without knowing anything about the gunman, his criminal record, history, anything else that would have been relevant to her scorching hot take. She had waited. She would have learned that due to his criminal past, he never should have had a gun. As a reminder, this is the same person who referred to this writer as ugly, hated Jesus, and represented the phallus tradition in smear jobs for ages. That's the type of tailless person we're dealing with. With that, she then turned her ire towards Christians and trashed anyone who offered their prayers in the aftermath that didn't involve pleas for gun control. It only got worse. She took direct aim at Christ, flaunting her supposed knowledge of Christianity, which in and of itself is something Christians should be doing. Here's a few of her tirades. Enough of the thoughts and prayers. The Bible teaches us that faith without work is dead. Do something or say nothing. I have some thoughts and prayers at Speaker Ryan. I think that your cynical acquiescence to this riot in the service of greed is shameful. Remember when Jesus and others came upon thousands of hungry people and rather than feeding them, thought and prayed? Work, not faith. And of all those lepers that came upon and rather than healing them, thought and prayed and thought and prayed. Such thinkers and prayers and supposed inheritors of faith have become such thinkers and prayers. Those money changers of Pharisees, boy, they were relieved when Jesus came in, saw their graft, and walked away, thinking and praying. I mean, why actually do anything at all when it's so much easier just to think and pray? If so happens that in a secular world, we regulate things like guns through laws, and you can't think or pray those up. Someone has to act. There's just so much fake news and pure rage in these tweets, it's difficult to not lash out at Reed's low-life behavior. A flagged, 
As flagged by our friends at Twitchy, one of Reed's Twitter critics quoted one Thea Solian, uh, Philosians 517, in which the Apostle Paul encouraged readers to pray without ceasing. Former Rhodes fellow and NRO writer Ian Tuttle quoted Matthew 14:19, for when Jesus miraculously fed 5,000 people that started with only five loaves of bread and two fishes. Remember, she's in the media. This is a person in the media. Without wading into the divide between Catholic and Protestant, all Christians agree in the importance of Christ as our Savior and that prayer is a central tenet of our faith. Here's a handful of verses, blah, blah, blah. There's definitely a few missing, but that's a start, and none of those seem to matter to Reed. Reed's hardened heart reappeared again on Monday as she claimed to be a firm Christian woman who grew up in the church when she braided Ricochet's John Gabriel and the Federalist Bray Payton and Sean Davis. In that spat, she referred to Payton as Hun, so mark that one away as something that would have caused a media uproar if someone said that to a liberal. Yeah. That's okay, though. A media member attacking Christianity. That's okay. While all this is going... ABC News, Secret Services, Dallas man arrested to go into D.C. to try to kill all white police at the White House. Just like last week, guys. I can cue it into all the rhetoric every fucking time. Media doesn't even cover it. They don't care. Politico, Speaker Ryan received 171977 bucks in campaigns from the gun lobby. So this Politico doing the Democrats' work for him, somehow this is about money. The whole world did what I did already. Compared to PPFA, it's a drop in the bucket. Drop in the bucket. And it goes back to what I said. I don't think it's even about the guns. It's about spin. This is the third consecutive liberal that has killed people. We've had six or seven or eight Congress persons, because it was a woman too, attacked, followed, stalked. The left is coming unglued. The rhetoric is making people do dangerous shit. And it's just not the politicians. Here's Heilman, who's got to be missing helping right now. I'm sure inside Heilman's closet he's attacked some boys too, because he's gay. I'm assuming it doesn't fall too far away from the tree. And here's Don Lemon. Heilman attacking the NRA. Lemon attacking prayer. I, 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 I despair on this issue more than I despair on almost any other issue that we talk about just because, you know, the, the political, the, everyone in Washington, which is a place consumed by fear and self-protection and how do I keep my sinecure uh, in the House and in the Senate, everyone has been terrified of the political power of the NRA since 
back in the early 1990s when they last actually had to flex their missile, their muscle when they were challenged and some gun control legislation got passed and they took out Congress people and you point to that people still in Washington who've been around long enough point back to the 94 race races and, and point to Mar Marjorie Margolis Mezvinsky and say that woman lost her seat because she crossed the NRA and people are just it's just a the ultimate portrait in cowardice on the part of people in Congress and I think that you know Trump's is, behavior in this I really want your attention this evening and with an open mind. How many more times are we going to have to do this? Mourn with people we don't know, but meet under the most horrific circumstances, their loved ones live, snuffed out in an instant for no good reason. How many times are we going to look up at the TV and see and hear people grieving, sobbing their hearts out in front of the world for the whole world to see? And before we even know the full story, the responses from our leaders are sadly as familiar as the details of the shootings. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Don't get me wrong, prayers are important. They really are. But can we just be honest for a moment? And this isn't about religion, it's not about politics. Thoughts and prayers did not stop an oversight from the justice system which enabled a guy who attacked his stepson and assaulted his wife from getting a gun. Thoughts and prayers didn't stop a troubled person from buying assault-grade weapons that took the lives of 26 people in an instant. And please don't get me wrong, this is not at all about the Second Amendment or taking guns out of the hands of responsible gun owners. I am a firm believer in the Second Amendment. I'll say that again. I am a firm believer in the Second Amendment. I grew up with hunters, family members, friends all around me. Louisiana, it's all about hunting. I also think responsible adults should be able to protect their homes, their property, and themselves. But think about this. How many guns and of what caliber does one person need? Does a civilian really need an arsenal? Does a civilian really need body armor? Those are good questions that we should all be asking. Maybe you think they should, but we should at least be asking those questions. Those are the questions our leaders should be debating. Our leaders should be leading, not following and not afraid to be honest with their constituents even when it is unpopular, especially when really it is the constituents' lives that are at stake, and they are. Leaders stand up to lobbyists. Yes, thoughts and prayers are important. So tonight, I hope you will join me in praying that our leaders will actually do something of substance and action this time that precludes another thoughts and prayers moment. Remember this, faith without works is dead. Yeah, all full-fledged liberals and, and their marching odors, or marching orders, not odors, but it does stink, attack religion, attack the NRA, lockstep. I could continue to read thousands and thousands of horrible tweets. I'm just going to showcase... Michael McKean as our motherfucker of the day. Come you college motherfuckers think y'all run everything. Motherfucker, 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 mot
So to show that it's just lockstep, it is the left. I mean, there's things I know in life. They hate guns, they hate Christians, they hate soldiers, they hate the middle of the country. Here's his tweets while the bodies were still warm. They were in a church, they had the prayers shot right out of them. May try, maybe try something else. Anyone accusing me of attacking faith couldn't be missing the point more. Faith equals good, murder equals bad, hypocrisy equals useless. Bye. Girl Gemi, what is wrong with you? Virginia Plain, what an ugly thing to say. I'm glad you're not on Saul anymore. Most people don't even know who he is, but he was squiggy on Laverne and Shirley. Jeb, what a completely disgusting thing to say. You should be ashamed of yourself. But he didn't care. He just didn't care. That's how they roll. That's how they roll. Texas has shown that at the end of the day, you know, they just are fucking pieces of shit that hate anybody who doesn't think like them. Just simple as that. So until we talk about the hero in one of our segments, I'm going to put that to rest. Other weird news. Charlie Sheen raped 13-year-old Corey Haim on the set of the movie Lucas. Isn't that nice? Yeah. That's really, really nice. So he's a pedophile too. Then there's Donna Brazil. I want to keep this out of the closed loop because this is unfucking believable. Just unbelievable. DNC chair Donna Brazil dedicated her book to patriot Seth Rich. Now I want you to understand Seth Rich as the left has said forever was just a little old staffer. Conservatives have outright said he was murdered. This is the second tip of the hat that Donna was scared that she would be murdered. And she dedicated to the guy that actually showed there was something wrong. As we've proven on this show, the nation even says, nobody hacked that server. It was done by a thumb drive. The bitrate transfer and timestamp did not match anywhere. They couldn't have duplicated. The rate of transfer couldn't have been done online. That's the nation. Katrina Vandehoeven's organization. No conservative organization. Yeah. There's more to this than we want to know. So as we go into our tweets of the day, here's the media just grilling the fuck out of Donna Brazil. Just a little while ago, 
She was a good person. But now she turned on Hillary. And within here, you're going to hear some interesting stuff. Donald Trump is president. I still believe not because of Donald Trump, but because of mistakes that the Clinton campaign made, as well as James Comey, as well as the Russians. I'll put it all in there. But it should have never been a close race. So uh, bottom line it for us. I agree with you on that, Joe. Uh, bottom line <laughs> it for us. Why did they lose? Was it at the end of the day arrogance? Um, yes, Joe. I, it was a cult. I, I felt like it was a cult. You could not penetrate them. Yesterday well, and, it was a wake-up call know, for the Democrats, too, because you know what? It's coming from the bottom up. It's not coming from the and, top and down could, anymore. It's bottom-up politics now. Mm-hmm. Bottom-up politics, and Mika, we can talk about this agreement all we want to until, as we used to say, till the cows come home. <laughs> right. But you remember the Iowa caucuses? Do you remember the Democratic leader out in Iowa who was a Clinton supporter rushing out to call the election against Bernie Sanders for Hillary Clinton? Do you remember when the yes. debates were scheduled <laughs> up against NFL games? Do you remember every decision, large and small, Meetings on a Saturday? With media, it was always meant to rig the process against Bernie Sanders. And you know what? Our we word, can go yours. and we can we can have all of these legal arguments. We can have all these semantic arguments. We can go through all these machinations. But you know what? The Democrats need to stop pretending this didn't happen with Debbie Wasserman Schultz every step of the way. And if they do that, and if they face that reality, then they'll face 2018 a little bit stronger. And but man. It was rigged in, in ways large and small from day one. But my purpose in looking into what happened was to, to find out if anything happened that we did not anticipate. And what I learned was there was a memorandum of understanding in addition to the joint fundraising agreement that hampered the DNC's ability to control its communication and some of its financial investments. Well, and I pointed entirely, that out. That's not entirely true, Donna. What happened was that in 2015, both Secretary Clinton and Bernie Sanders signed an agreement with the DNC, right? The DNC was deep in debt and they agreed to help replenish its its coffers. Uh, Nora, I, I'm, I was the vice chair of the party and I had no idea there was a separate memorandum that gave one one candidate control over um, selecting staff in three or four departments. You, your book seems to suggest that you're bitter, you're angry, and on top of all of that, you seem very hurt. But it doesn't seem like you think it was a fair fight, Donna. You even called Bernie to explain to him, I found the cancer here. That doesn't sound like... So, so I, I'm when you say um, that Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and former DNC chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz stripped the party to a shell for their own purposes. Uh, what does that say? Preceded, Charlie, by the words, three titanic egos. Right. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> well, the Democratic yeah. Party has lost over 900 legislative seats. We've lost over 50 congressional seats. But they seats. do that to their own purposes? Uh, People say the media are liberal, and obviously they are, but that's not the whole story. More than anything, the national media are part of the establishment. They went to the same schools as the establishment. They share the same values. They're basically the same people. If you want evidence of this, look no further than the controversy over Donna Brazil's new book. Brazil once ran the DNC. So when she says the Democratic Party worked hard to steal the election from Bernie Sanders, you can't exactly dismiss her as a partisan or a kook. 
And yet that's exactly what many in the establishment press have tried to do for several days. According to highly informed sources we spoke to, highly informed, top management at CNN directed its employees to undermine Brazil's credibility. Anchors and producers there were vocally offended, many of them, by Brazil's attacks on their friends, the Clintons. If you've been watching that channel, you may have noticed CNN's anchors suggesting that Donna Brazil cannot be trusted precisely because she took part in efforts to rig the primaries for Clinton. Watch. She's the one who, through somebody who doesn't work at CNN, got access to one town and and sent an email, which we know from WikiLeaks, to someone in the Clinton campaign to give them a town hall question, which is completely unethical. She wasn't doing that for, for Bernie Sanders. But, uh, do you take her at her word, Sam, given the fact that she lied about that CNN debate and giving those questions to Hillary Clinton ahead of time? <laughs> it's unbelievable. In retrospect, there's, it's, they're so obviously talking points. Oh, glad to know that. But CNN's not alone, by the way. Glenn Greenwald at The Intercept wrote a great piece the other day in which he pointed out that journalists have repeatedly spread misleading stories designed to exonerate the behavior of Hillary Clinton and the DNC. NBC News published a story claiming the Clinton-DNC agreement only applied to the general election. If they'd simply read the agreement, they would have seen that's false. It applied to both. That claim was quickly, though, repeated by MSNBC, The Hill, and others. Again, it was false. Establishment journalists also claim that Sanders signed the very same agreement that Hillary Clinton did. That's false, too. The media loves a scandal, but in this case, they can't seem to downplay this one fast enough. Stan, you heard in there that uh, it's been proven on other sources, but Tucker outright said it. CNN was told to go after her. They were told to go after Brazil. And that, once again, is just another one of those moments that, you know, how is our media not liberal? Jesus. James Comey, here's my new handle. Glad to be part of the Twitterverse. Grateful to Reinhold for the cover these last few years. That was actually a tweet. The tweet of the day is, why did you ignore overwhelming evidence against Hillary Clinton and do innocent people usually destroy evidence? It was about 10,000 tweets on that vein, or I knew it was you, Frito and Michael Corion picture. Who thought him having a Twitter was a good idea? Hey, tweet of the day! Trump, as we mentioned, is on a 12-day trip to Asia, dominated by trade negotiations and North Korea's nuclear program. But even when Trump is abroad, he can't seem to escape the escalating Russia investigation. For more on this, it's time for a closer look. 
Trump's trip got off to a rough start on Friday when he flew to Hawaii, which is, of course, the state where former President Obama was born. And Trump's motorcade was greeted by protesters lining the streets, reminding him of his past as a birther. With signs like this one that read, Aloha, POTUS, welcome to Kenya. <laughs> Solid burn. And the interesting thing about the word aloha is that it means both hello and go f*** yourself. But of course, sarcasm doesn't work great on Trump because there's a good chance he saw that sign and thought he was actually in Kenya. See, I was right. I knew Obama was born in Kenya. I just didn't know that Kenya was in the United States. I'm learning stuff every day, you guys. However, Trump did get a warmer reception once he landed in Japan, where he was greeted by Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, a key ally. You might remember that when Abe was in the U.S. earlier this year, he stayed with Trump at his private club Mar-a-Lago and even crashed a wedding there. And Abe was apparently eager to give Trump just as warm a reception. The president and the Japanese prime minister shared a moment that they showcased their bromance. Take a look here. Uh, when Mr. Trump landed, Mr. Abe surprised him with customized baseball hats. The white caps have gold lettering that say, Donald and Shinzo make alliance even greater. Abe is a smart man. He figured out that the only way to communicate effectively with Donald Trump is via hat. Which actually gives me an idea. I think that left was on enough for him to read it. Also, the hat said Donald and Shinzo make alliance even greater. That sounds like what you say to a monkey if you were teaching it sign language. Human and ape make friendship stronger. But whether Trump is the man in that exchange or the ape, or more likely a combo of the two, his Asia trip will be focused in part on dealing with the threat of North Korea's nuclear program, which has the region on edge. North Korea has already shot missiles through Japan's airspace that land in the Pacific Ocean. And as the situation intensifies, allies like Japan are very much looking to the U.S. for leadership. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem like Trump is capable of providing that leadership because over the weekend, the Japan Times reported Trump questioned Japan's decision not to shoot down the missiles when he met or spoke by phone with leaders from Southeast Asia countries over recent months. The U.S. president said he could not understand why a country of samurai warriors did not shoot down the missiles. Okay, there are about 54 things wrong with that, but let's just do three. One, Japan hasn't had samurai warriors in hundreds of years. Two, they famously carried swords, so if the rockets were more than, like, eight feet off the ground, good luck. And three, anybody who watches movies knows that samurais were white guys. Also, can you imagine that phone call? So you don't have samurai? Have you guys considered karate guys? They could chop the warheads off. I did a drawing of how I think it would work. It's, uh, it's stick figures, but I think you'll get the idea. And last resort, obviously, you could use Godzilla, but I know things usually backfire when you let him out. No, I saw it in a documentary. Now, Trump's trip comes amid growing concerns among the American people with Trump's handling of the North Korea crisis. A new poll out this weekend found that 67% of Americans don't trust him to act responsibly in handling the situation involving North Korea. And I'm not sure Trump is doing very much to ease their concerns. 
In an interview Sunday, Trump seemed almost like he was caught off guard when he was asked if there was anything in particular he can do during this trip to deal with the North Korea crisis. Do you think there is work you can personally do on this trip that will lessen the threat? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to see what happens. prepared for that question. It's the whole reason you're there. That's like Eli Manning being asked, hey, how come you guys lost? And him going, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> Look at Trump's face. That's the face of a man who did not realize he was actually expected to work on this trip. He's like a teenager being asked the day after a field trip what his favorite part of the art museum was and proudly saying it was getting high on the bus. But, of course, even when he's getting ready to jet halfway across the world, Trump cannot seem to free himself from his obsession with Hillary Clinton. And the Russia investigation that seems to be getting closer and closer to him. He tweeted obsessively on Thursday and Friday about a series of manufactured Hillary scandals that he felt the Justice Department should be investigating. And before he left for his trip on Friday, he made clear to reporters that he was angry that the Justice Department and the FBI had so far refused to go after his political opponents. I'm really not involved with the Justice Department. I'd like to let it run itself. But honestly, they should be looking at the Democrats. They should be looking at Podesta and all of that dishonesty. They should be looking at a lot of things. And a lot of people are disappointed in the Justice Department, including me. I love how he says he's not involved with the Justice Department and then immediately tells the Justice Department what to do. Trump's a catty teenager who's in a fight with her best friend. I'm not involved with Becca, but she should be careful with Justin because that boy is shady AF. <laughs> so we now have a sitting president demanding that the Justice Department prosecute a political opponent. Trump and the GOP are trying to claim that Democrats somehow broke the law by funding research that led to that infamous dossier. So what's Trump's evidence for that claim? If you listen closely, he's very vague about where he's getting his information. The origins of the dossier supposedly is conservative funding. What does that tell you? Well, I heard the other day that it might be, and then I heard that basically they started something, but the Democrats really took it up and started it. I have a feeling that the Democrats started it. The amount of money that I hear being thrown around is ridiculous. Somebody said that this guy Steele that wrote it, and we'll figure that out eventually, that he paid money to the Russians. I think the firm was involved with many people. I, I don't have to mention names, but I heard they were involved with John McCain. Somebody said, I heard, I have a feeling. Trump has access to the best intelligence in the world, and he gets his info by peering through the blinds like a nosy neighbor. <laughs> Our Japanese neighbors just moved in. I bet they're samurai. In fact, Trump often seems confused and at a loss to explain where he gets his information. Take, for example, the terror attack last week in Manhattan. Trump called for an immigration crackdown and claimed that the suspected terrorist brought in 23 other people with him. But when he was pressed on the veracity of that number, even by Fox News, he could not explain where he heard it. I mean, just take a look at him. 23 people, potentially 23 people. Is that people. verified? Uh, it's what I heard. It's what I gave. Whether it's 23 or whether it's two, as far as I'm concerned, it's a big it's so difference. Much. Okay, no, no, I know that, but I hear it's 23. It's a lot of people. Look, we all know 23 and two is different. 23 is two plus three. But he just keeps saying stuff without evidence and expecting us to accept it. If Trump were a magician, he would end tricks by looking into a hat and saying, "Yep, there's a rabbit in there." There wasn't, and now there is. You have to take my word for it, but there is. What a nice trick. 
Of course, Trump and his allies on the right are dredging up a series of manufactured Hillary scandals in order to muddy the waters and distract from the very real Russian investigation, which has now steered three of Trump's former campaign aides and seems to be getting closer to the president himself. And Trump isn't exactly doing a great job of sounding like he has nothing to hide. Just listen to how defensive he sounds in this interview from Sunday. Look, all I can say is that I have nothing to do with Russian collusion. Nothing whatsoever, and everybody knows it. Do you think you would ever consider trying to have Mueller removed, or have you pledged to just stay out of that? Well, I hope he's treating everything fairly, and if he is, I'm going to be very happy, because when you talk about innocent, I am truly not involved in any form of collusion with Russia, believe me. That's the last thing I can think of to be involved in. As far as I'm concerned, I have been told that we're under investigation. I'm not under investigation. You know, when it comes to Russia collusion, they're looking at the wrong person. Absolutely the wrong person. In the span of 20 seconds, Trump's defense went from there is no collusion to I'm not involved in any collusion to I'm not under investigation to you got the wrong guy. <laughs> if Trump were ever called in for questioning, he'd crack immediately. Where were you on the night of the 14th? Certainly not robbing a bank, but I'll bet Hillary was. Now, who knows what the investigation will ultimately find, but every time Trump is asked about alleged Russian collusion or his former aides who are indicted, he finds a way to sound cartoonishly guilty. Take, for example, his former foreign policy advisor, George Papadopoulos, who pled guilty to lying to the FBI about his extensive contacts with Russians. Trump sat in a meeting with Papadopoulos during the campaign, and it's a meeting Trump should remember vividly, given that just over a week ago, he bragged that he had... One of the great memories of all time. Well, you'll never guess what Trump had to say about that meeting with Papadopoulos. I don't remember much about that meeting. It was a very unimportant meeting. It took place a long time. Don't remember much about it. So I think I figured it out. Trump has such a terrible memory that he forgot he has a terrible memory and therefore thinks he has a great memory. <laughs> he should get a memento tattoo saying that. In fact, the Papadopoulos meeting isn't the only thing Trump has conveniently forgotten about his own presidential campaign. There's also his former cha campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, who was indicted for, among other things, acting as a secret foreign agent without declaring his status to the government. Last year, Trump's campaign fired Manafort once his ties to Kremlin-connected politicians in Ukraine started to get media attention. But now, suddenly, Trump can't seem to remember what that was all about. What was it that convinced you that he had to be let go? Well, I think we found out something about he may be involved with all, with certain nations, and I don't even know exactly what it was in particular. So the guy with one of the great memories of all time suddenly can't remember why he fired his campaign chairman in the middle of a presidential election. If Trump had been taking a polygraph during that answer, it would have looked like his signature. <laughs> so we have a president unprepared to deal with international security threats who's sounding increasingly authoritarian and calling for the prosecution of his political opponents. Meanwhile, the special counsel's investigation has already snared three of his former aides and seems to be closing in on more of them. Mr. President, do you really think you'll make it through your full term? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to see what happens. This has been a closer look. Mr. Cheney, there is a lesser task. You need merely to achieve a very low threshold indeed. Display just that iota of patriotism which Richard Nixon showed on August 9th, 1974. Resign. Yeah, that's old Seth Meyers starting out just like Oberman, so that's why I played that little soundbite behind it. He he wants to be the next Oberman. They even carted out John Stewart this week. I'm just not covering it. It's like, once again, conservative president, we're talking about the war, we want to hold the army accountable, we're talking about deaths. It's like a fucking hypocritical 
movie you've seen and you're watching it all over again. Other hate tweets. Anna Navarro, me, did you remember to set your clock back an hour? Friend, I wish we could set life back a year. Me, hell, Trump set us back a century. Black Sam said it for me. One must usually go to the halls of a high school to find this level of wit. What are you, fucking five? Shut up! But our super hate tweet is just an article. And I think this pretty much sums up the left 2017. I have quite a few examples this podcast. Women fired for flipping off President Motorcade without... Wouldn't mind a, a gig with Planned Parenthood and PETA. She was a contractor. A bicyclist photograph, photographed flipping off President Trump's motorcade became a viral sensation online, but her employer was not amused and fired the 50-year-old mother of two. See, when a Democrat does something wrong and they get fired, we have to feel sorry for them somehow. Because, oh, that's just horrible. Free speech and all. But there's a picture. Jim Roberts... Tweeted it because Jim Roger, Roberts is a lefty. Bicyclist is fired for flipping off Trump's motorcade. HuffPo was on this. New York Times was on this. Everybody was on it. <clears throat> kind of semi-chunky lady flipping off the motorcade. Lauren Duca, the woman who flipped off Trump's motorcade, 2020. TBH. I don't know what that means. Whole article is she was just so upset. She hates the president. She's a liberal, but she's a federal contractor. And she broke the freaking media policy of her company. HuffPo, as I said, New York Times. They all outright covered that this is horrible. Akima LLC is just terrible. Because they did not allow her to have free speech off-duty. But they're a federal contractor. They work for the feds. Cycling America put out. Turning left, turning right, stopping, greeting the president. With somebody flipping him off. They think this is okay. Her exact statement, I was passing by and my blood just started to boil. I'm thinking DACA recipients are getting kicked out. He pulled ads for open enrollment, Obamacare, only one-third of Puerto Rico has power. I'm thinking he's at the damn golf course again. I flipped off the motorcade a number of times, she added. Briskman, a Democrat, said she plans to look for a new job with an advocacy group. Akimi's website was hacked and crashed because people were so upset that they have... A social media policy. New York Times, as I said, same stuff. Same stuff. Replies, hey, Twitterverse, Julian Brisbane deserves a great new job opening a VA. Forget about Akimi. They don't deserve her. Thank you, Julia Brisbane. You're for American Majority Salute. You deserve better. Marketing communication people. Jill needs a job and she deserves it for making us happy. Typical. Liberal tweet. Nana Corporation, you own Akimi LLC. Akimi LLC filed her 2020. She had her own fucking hashtag, her 2020, for exercising her First Amendment rights. Another one. New normal. U.S. president can assault women without consequences, but a woman exercising First Amendment to give him the bird loses her job. 
Chris Hayes. I'm sure the free speech brigades will have her back. Ture, cyclist lost her job after raising middle finger at Trump motorcade. Trump kept his job after raising middle finger to half the USA. Uh, this is unbelievable. Because at the end of the day, you would never be able to do this to Obama. If you did this to Obama, you would be a racist. You would be fired. The media would call for you to be fired. The left would call for you to be fired. But now in 2017, it's okay to do that. But it doesn't end there. Into our hypocrisy without a bumper. CNN, Trump joined his Japanese counterpart, Shizo Abe, in feeding fish, emptying the whole box of food into a koi pond. Julie Davis, Pearl Poole, Trump and Abe were each feeding koi in a pond. Then this happened. Jennifer Jacobs, Trump spoon feeds koi fish at a Koski Palace, ended up just dumping the box. Jonathan Lemaire, AFP News Agency, Veronica Rocha, Andy Gruel, MSM getting upset about how Trump feeds fish is bad enough, but refusing to report that Abe dumped his food first, it is next level. Ian Michael Chong, nicely edited video, CNN, zoom in real close so nobody can see Shinzo Abe empty his container first. This is some straight up bullshit, my dude. Trump's on point when he talks about fake news. He's talking about garbage like you. Nicholas Waldem, Abe dumped fish food. Glenn Armagus, so would CNN consider this a selectively edited video like the Planned Parenthood ones? Alex in New York City, the stupid fish feeding incident is just one example of CNN misleading the public about Trump extremely dishonest red stays hi brian seltzer you can cover media can you offer an explanation why cnn deceptively edited this video thanks ed k i wonder if brian seltzer will have some thing to say about this Derek hunter the banana is an apple josh jordan last night every news person ran with look how rude trump is overseas stakes yet never mentioned the facts and it goes on. Julie Davis finally, tell the tape, Abe dumped his fish food. Yashar Ali, I've deleted this tweet, which was based on multiple news reports, clearly showed now that Abe dumped it first. This is our media. Anything to bash it. And I want you to understand, it goes back to what we talked about I need to replay that if I ever do a best of show. 2,700 tweets from just Julie Davis, a pool reporter. Trump embarrasses America overseas. Less than 100 tweets with the facts. This is what they've been doing since November 9th. I don't like saying the fake news thing, but it's bias. They will do anything to disparage Trump, whether it's factual or not, and they recant it later somewhere in a byline, but the people don't know. When it all came full stop and everybody realized the media once again was lying, here's Keith Oberman's response. So they're both dicks. There was actually liberals in there saying, oh my God, how are those fish going to eat? 
That's not how you feed fish. Trump's killing fish now. I mean, he's already killed puppies, pandas. Fucking people are pathetic. That's a whole fucking day of our media overfeeding fish. Really? Matthew Dowd, Senator Warren and Donna Brazil, some advice. If President Trump is using your comments to perpetuate a fiction, you might want to correct the record. Here's the ABC guy. News political director worried that facts are going to get out and hurt the Democrats. I went apeshit crazy on it. Matthew Dowd has just gone off the fucking deep end. Former Believer host Reza Aslan claims Trump is a cult leader. Whole article on CNN. Here's the facts. Look at the Hillary people. They still haven't given up the election. They still haven't given up the election. And even though we literally have had a lot of sound bites today, I, I still have to do a media mash. But before I do it, Alex Griswold pretty much sums up the media this week. The Today Show had a segment questioning why no one trusts the media. Their guest was Dan Rather. There it is in a nutshell. Pretty much sums it up. So our media mash, we're going to stats of the day. CBS gushes over Obama picture book. MSDNC disturbed by Trump criticizing North Korea. Seriously. Tur and Kristoff, two of my favorite little libs that are supposed to be journalists, literally inferring that Trump's going to kill millions of people just so he can get reelected. Yeah, that, that, that fucking happened. Over the course of eight years, President Obama was shadowed by former White House photographer Pete Souza. His photos captured nearly every moment during the 44th president's two terms. Souza sometimes took 2,000 photos a day. His new book, Obama, an intimate portrait, features more than 300 photos. He takes readers behind the scenes with President Obama. Pete Souza, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's a beautiful book. Yeah. It's really well done. And I love the foreword by the former president who says, I probably spent more time with Pete Souza than anybody other than my family in the eight years in the White House. You were a constant presence and chronicler of history. Uh, I was. It was a great privilege to, to do this job. Uh, I, I feel fortunate that I had the opportunity. This is as good a picture as I've ever seen. Of the I think so, That's too. It's a fantastic photograph. But do you have one that you think identifies or sort of uh, portrays the president more than any other single photograph here that captures him? Uh, you know, I saw him in so many walks of life that it's hard to choose any one. Uh, certainly uh, some of the one of him uh, interacting with kids or with his family, but also the more weighty pictures of him in the Situation Room uh, during the Bin Laden raid. So there's... I think the pictures together tell you uh, the most about him than any one picture can. You, you know, you were invisible in some ways, as the president says before, but now you've taken a more visible role. And on Instagram, I noticed that you, in the words of some younger people, they say you troll President Trump. Why? I, I mean, I think uh, the, uh, the, the photographs that I post on Instagram now 
uh, and the, the words that I write, I think, speak for themselves. But the other thing that stuck out to me uh, in this speech, Brian, is he really painted a picture of what life in North Korea is like under this regime. He described it as hell. He talked about a murderous regime uh, in very dark terms. And then he painted a picture of South Korea, talking about uh, South Korea's economy that's been booming for decades, about the uh, political independence there. He even praised scientists and authors and writers and talked about the Olympics and, and really tried to draw a comparison out as he really tries to develop, uh, build support around the world uh, to join this coalition against North Korea. Yeah, to, Phil, to one of your points, I was really struck by how clinical and graphic uh, the speech got at one point. Very much Very so. dark, wondering what, uh, where, how that was injected into the speech. It's not the kind of thing you wanted children in the room to hear. It's not, but we've seen this before in some of uh, President Trump's speeches, including his, his inaugural address when he talked about American carnage. He, he likes this sort of graphic imagery. Uh, he, he spoke this way on the campaign trail a lot. He, he describes terrorists as animals. I mean, he likes to come up with really sort of visceral terminology when he's making his points. Much more, you believe? I think we should covering be the story more, talking the, about it every day. Ringing the alarm bells in the night because uh, I'm afraid, and I guess I worry a little bit also that that at the, at a time when there is a, a lot of political pressure on the president, political crises at home, that that may lead leaders to behave in more can. aggressive ways, take more risks, um, and right now Korea is kind of on a knife edge, and both sides can miscalculate, um, they're on both on a hair trigger, it'd be very easy to have an escalation. Uh, to be extraordinarily skeptical, you can point out that, that wars tend to raise people's polling average, their approval ratings, at least in the, yeah. in the short term. I wasn't being quite that cynical, although I take okay. your point, but I do think that they also lead people to be more aggressive and I think yeah. that it, uh, to, to, you know, just to stand up to foreign leaders, and that's the kind of thing that, in this context, can lead to a, a nuclear war. stats of the day, CNN has not once mentioned the Menendez trial. The only article they've done online is that Dems will move with Menendez, even if convicted. That's it. But they've never covered the case. Which leads me to probably why this is here. CNN poll just 37% of America have a favorable view of the Democratic Party, lowest in a quarter century. This was same week that supposedly there's a tidal wave happening and everybody's going to vote Democrat. Mainstream media trustworthiness is another poll. Very trustworthy, 17%. Somewhat, 28%. The not very or not at all uh, counts for 27, uh, no, excuse me, 47, 55% of those polled believe 
the mainstream media is no longer trustworthy. When they talked about it, it was NBC, ABC, CBS, New York Times, LA Times, and Washington Post. That's what they referred to. And we wonder why. I mean, they wonder why. They're having segments on the Today Show. Why don't people trust the media? It's pretty simple. You're a mouthpiece for the DNC. As stated, referring to gun violence, Chicago close to recording 600th homicide. After last weekend, they had 30, 30 murders. And as of Monday morning, today is, of course, Friday, they had 593. So they're over it. They, they've they've ex- exceeded 600 murders. Strictest gun laws ever. iHeartRadio investors watch for signs of bankruptcy because iHeartRadio is failing. I don't know anybody that actually uses it. Five more women come forward to accuse disgraced movie director Roman Polanski of sexual assault. Remember, he assaulted a kid. Has never come back to the country. North Korea's nuclear test site is a wasteland with deformed babies. Actual satellite photos. You see the before and after deforestation. It's pretty scary. So going off the last podcast... Literally, folks, with that spill, it's probably affecting a lot of people. This is one you're not going to hear in the media. This week they actually showed videos of the Air Force General speaking. What a great speech it was. If you can't treat someone with dignity and respect, get out. Remember that last year? The media was jerking off to it. They thought it was the greatest thing ever. Air Force Academy Prep School, Black Cadet, admitted to writing racist remarks on dorm door. We have so many fucking unbelievable false flag, I hate to use that Alex Jones type shit, but false flag attacks, racism, etc. in this country. It's troubling. It's really troubling because that never gets vetted. Just like Nothing about Obama ever got vetted. The media will just rush that out because it fits their agenda. Oh, Trump, more racist now in America. There's more sexist in America. There's more evil people in America because of Trump. So that's just another one. I wonder if that general will actually get talked to for a stupid fucking speech. Fake news versus retractions. Jeremy Diamond, Trump just became the first U.S. president since George H.W. Bush not to take questions from reporters alongside his Chinese counterpart on his visit there. Clinton, Bush, and Obama all made a point of doing that. Correction, Obama did not take questions with his counterpart during his first visit. He and Z did during subsequent trip in 2014. That tweet had 10,000 retweets. 99 retweets of the retraction. I want that stat to sit with everybody because that's how the left is winning in the media right now. All you have to do is lie about Trump, come up with some half-cock bullshit, and you're good to go. That's good to go. You're safe. And it's starting to affect people flipping off motorcades and killing people. Seriously, folks. We need to tighten it up. To a music break... We're going to quick couple things. Uh, we're going to have a segment on how the left is now done with Kellyanne. 
and they're going after Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And as promised, an interview with one of the heroes, a good guy with the gun. I'm only playing it because you don't see it on the mainstream media. They damn sure don't want this to get out. media bubble one podcast at a time here's tony reed okay good morning guys uh halloween's over but i see some of you guys are still in your journalist costumes Tell me all about that one, but um, yeah. So um, in a minute, I'm gonna tell you guys a six-minute riddle about taxes. But first, I'm gonna take some questions. So, yeah, Keith. Sarah, you've continually denied any connection between the Trump campaign and interference by the Russian government. Wow, y'all are obsessed with this. It's frickin' lame. However, Sarah, in light of indictments handed down this week, what I want to know is how you can continue to stand here day after day and maintain there's no connection to the president. Well. 
nothing to do with the White House, okay? And we barely even knew these guys. They were like carnies just making their way through town one night only. Are, are you actually comparing the campaign manager to a carny passing through town? Uh, that's gonna be a hell yeah from me, Keith. And I guess I would just add suck my I used to hold my feet Now I'm letting you go I make my own choice Bitch, I run this show You can call them lies Sarah, this week John Kelly said that the Civil War could have been avoided through compromise. Look, history is a, a bottle of moments that is filled with time and horses and the invention of the telephone, okay? But if you don't like that, you got to take it up with Father Time, all right? Bruce. There's no Bruce here. Sarah, can you at least acknowledge how offensive those comments are to some people? No. No? No. Yeah, I got it. No. So you say that I'm a puppet, that I must be out of my mind. All y'all media can stuff it, stuff it, stuff it. Katie, come on, give me a fun one. No. Obviously, sexual harassment has been in the news, so is the official White House position that the 16 women that have accused the president... Well, hang on now. Because it's riddle time, y'all. This is going to help you understand the new tax plan, all right? Ten people have a bar tab of $100, right? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? But the eighth man is a Pollock, okay? So he's dumb as a box of rocks. What's wrong with him? Milk. Milk. Lemonade. Round the back. That's where the fudge is made. What's wrong with And you end up at the McNugget. And that's taxes. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with being confident? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're singing a Demi Lovato song? Hell no. So that was a Saturday Night Live skit. And as we portrayed over the last year, it's okay to dog conservative women. There, there's nothing wrong with that. There, nobody gets upset about it. Kellyanne has been a, a deadly clown in the it uh, genre to a skank, to a stalker, um, a la freaking uh, Fatal Attraction. So this is an article show, and now they moved on. Move over, Kellyanne. Sarah Sanders, the left's new favorite White House woman to cut. Last week, the feisty, no-nonsense White House press secretary was the subject of three unflattering, if not egregiously sexist portrayals from haters on the left. And this is done by a white, cis-normative, conservative woman. So it won't count the lefties, but all the same. 
Sanders must be doing something right. Last week, the feisty, no-nonsense, blah, 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 betrayal, already read it. Nothing could top the disgraceful bit about Sanders on Saturday Night Live this past weekend. The segment mocks her as an overweight, stupid hillbilly spewing dumb jokes eye-rolling White House reporters must tolerate. The bit really goes off the rails when Sanders' character, played by A.D. Bryant, reenacts Demi Lovato's Confident. Bryant squeezes into seductive dresses, does some weird slithering dance on top of a desk while she turns over a picture of her father, former Governor Huckabee, and ends the montage with Bryant wailing in front of the White House press corps dressed in a too tight leather leotard. Can you imagine such a skit about a woman in the Obama White House? Michelle Obama was always portrayed by the beautiful actresses or cast members, even though it would have been easy to mock the First Lady's athletic frame, and how she sometimes towered over her slight husband. Kate McKinnon made Hillary Clinton look much prettier and more together than she really is, but once again, the double standards of the same folks literally wept when Donald Trump was elected a year ago on full display. It's almost as if they're getting their jollies out of over the election without realizing how hypocritically childish and witless they look. <clears throat> Another one. Slightly chunker, chunky soccer mom who organizes snacks. That was the first of the week's low blows. Triumph, low blow tr Trump virates. I've never seen that word. On November 1st, Los Angeles Times posted a column we already covered by David Horsey. We won't review it because we already read it. It was fucking horrible. Trump's daughter Ivanka and wife Melania are the hypothesis of this type. By comparison, Sanders looks more like a slightly chunky soccer mom. There's a lot wrong with this, including Horsey's suggestion that Melania and Ivanka are nothing more than eye candy. Horsey's attacks on Sanders was not just an attack on her, but a degradation of all suburban moms, i.e. married Republican women. Horsey's sneering description of the slightly chunky soccer mom was organizing snacks for kid game is not meant as a comp compliment. We hate those sickening family values. After pushback on social media, didn't see anything from our pink hat-wearing sisters on the left, though. Horsey offered a lame Mia culpa, but it was too late. New York Times columnist Frank Bruni heard Horsey's dog whistle and tuned it up a notch. In a seething sexist rant, Bruni called Sanders a bogus message to middle America that Trump's White House is really a homespun family values kind of place. Hence her repeated reference to being a mo working mom and menacing, ma managing a boisterous brood at home. Ugh. Let's not capitalize on the working mom stick. All right. That's only the pure view of liberal women, not conservative ones. He called her a mendacious, a paid sycophant, because again, none of those kind of people work in various administrations. Said she needs a vocabulary lesson, and she's awful at this. So why is this, why is this not sexist? And now why is it sexist, she says. Aside from a smack at Sanders for exploiting her status as a working mom, Bruni wrote no such columns about Jay Carney or about Josh Ernest. Bruni left Obama's spinmeisters untouched, even as both spokesmen peddled any number of lies from the White House podium. A video was responsible for a terrorist attack, the IRS targeting scandal was no biggie, or an incoming president colluding with a powerful foe to hack an election. When a notable male columnist overlooks similar, if not much worse, behavior from two men while shamefully disparaging women, it's sexism. Period. The news and entertainment media has spent a year attacking Trump advisor Kellyanne Conway for her looks to her spin. 
A few weeks ago, SNL portrayed Conway as a sewer creature trying to get an appearance on CNN. Sanders seemed to be their straight, their latest target. Now he can stick women in sewers, call them fat, mock them as mothers, and squeeze them into S&M-like get-ups, and that's just fine. Liberal male colonists and sketch writers can ridicule and smear conservative women serving in the White House, apparently. Remember that for the next administration. Folks, I understand you hate Trump. But the level of evil that you're portraying towards anybody in the administration, anybody that would go in the media and spin just like you did for Obama, has now gone to un-American standards. Now, I understand I might be a hypocrite on that because I called Valerie Jarrett an Islamist, but she was an Islamist. That was her position. She was an Iranian descent. She pushed for all our coddling to Iran, but I didn't attack her personally. I didn't talk about her as a person. That's the problem with this stuff. They're going to person. It's personal for them. They just can't get enough hate of Trump, which they are allowed to say whatever they want, unfettered, about the President of the United States. Once again, I have no problem with it, but under Obama, that was wrong. You're disparaging the office, was what what they would say. But they're outright sexist. They're just sexist. And they're allowed to be sexist, by the Women's March, the pussy hat wearing hypocrites. Because pussy hat wearing hypocrites of the Women's March only recognize women who want to abort babies. That's feminism to them. Feminism has been distilled down to just abort a baby. That's true feminism. And that's just nothing to do with being a woman. At least from my wife's perspective. But, you know, she's cis-normative. God, don't listen to those people. couple other articles. When the saints of the First Baptist Church were murdered, God was answering their prayers. I have about five different articles I could show you, but I want you to look them up for those lefties who literally believe praying doesn't do it. They were praying, and God did take them. And you won't get it because you hate... Christianity across the board. You just fucking hate it. Hate it. And then there's a quote from this guy. <clears throat> Stephen Wolford shot the Texas church gu- gunman. I think my God and my Lord protected me and gave me the skills to do what needed to be done, he said, while choking back tears. I just wish I could have gotten there faster. But I didn't know. I didn't know what was happening. About 7% of the town's population was slaughtered in the deadliest church shooting in history. Here is an interview with him, because you're not going to hear that on the media. We'll go back into a music break, because I want to get more Christmas music out there and ingest you with the Christmas spirit. And we'll go into news and social media nuggets.
Everyone, yeah, we're just down the street right now from the Baptist Church here in Sutherland Springs where the gunman opened fire uh, right behind me right now. Uh, I'm going to point out this black truck that some officers are walking in front of right now. That is the truck that Stephen Williford got behind as he approached to confront the gunman this uh, yesterday uh, to, and began to open fire. Now, uh, this area right here is uh, personal for me, in fact, as uh, I know this area a little bit. I'm actually... Uh, uh, very close uh, close friends with the Williford family. And he says that uh, for the community uh, that this is something that uh, it, it impacts him very deeply. I didn't have any time because I kept hearing the shots one after another, very rapid shots, just pop, pop, pop. And I knew every one of those shots represented someone, that it was aimed at someone, that they weren't just random shots more than likely. I grabbed a handful of ammunition and started loading my magazine. And I'm trying to survey the situation not knowing what's going on. And then I saw a man in a black tactical helmet with a sun, with a dark shaded helmet on and uh, obviously looked to me like it, it was bulletproof vest and he had a pistol in his hand and we exchanged gunfire he saw me and I saw him and, and I was st standing behind a pickup truck for cover and and we exchanged I'm like it was surreal to me it, it could, couldn't be couldn't be happening I, I could not believe it we chased him down 539 and and when we first started chasing him he was out of sight and and, and the man driving the truck was was I found out later his name is Johnny he uh, was driving at a high rate of speed and we were trying to pass cars and catch up and we were called 911 and we were talking to 911. I was scared for me and I was scared for every one of them. And I was scared for my own family that just lived less than a block away. I, 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 I'm no hero. I, I am not. I think my God, my Lord, protected me and gave me the skills to do what needed to be done. And I just wish I could have gotten there faster. Now, coming up tonight at 6, we will hear more from Stephen Williford. He takes us exclusively up to the truck where he exchanged gunfire with the gunmen. And, of course, stay right here with us for more of that and on 4029tv.com. Uh, now, for Mr. Williford, he says that he does not want to be called a hero in this, as you just heard him say there uh, in that exclusive interview. He says that right now he's just asking for prayers for this small community. We're live this, this evening in Sutherland Springs, Texas. I'm Josh. I've heard there was a secret chord That David played and it pleased the Lord But you don't really care for music, do you? 
Well, it goes like this: the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing. Hallelujah, 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 Hallelujah.
poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. Let's fly, let's fly away. Stop. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. selection. Bravo team was deciding which candidate for my green team class they were going to pick in the draft. You remember any of the conversations they had before deciding it ought to be me? I don't, okay? I was a three IC back then. Okay. All right, well, let me ask you something. You ever considered the color of my skin? Come on, no, it's not about that. It is not about that. Do you understand me? As far as I'm concerned, jackasses come in one color. Yeah, but this particular jackass is black. Yeah, and so? Look, I kid it, man. I never could stand Bo myself. He's an arrogant, uptight perfectionist with, with, with no sense of humor, and he won't think outside the box. I get it. He drives you crazy. But I'm glad that we see the same way. Okay, well, how do you think he's seeing you? Better question, do I care? He's seeing a white guy with slept-on hair, a couple days' growth, and your shirt flapping almost as much as your mouth. Thanks for that, Ray. Really appreciate it. Look, man, the point is, he's seeing a guy go through life the way he wishes he could. Look, what do you even know about this guy? I know enough! I know this life's starting buds. 150 guys, first day of phase one, I'm the only black face. Nighttime surf torture. Everyone laid out side by side on the beach. Eyes stinging, mouth tasting like puke, salt, and sand. Every time a wave comes in, everybody's trying to cheat, right? Keep the head up so the seawater doesn't go back in your nose. Instructors yelling at you to get back down. The thing is, in the dark, Jace, it's hard to tell one white face from another. So who do you think they call out by name? Huh? Perry, you get your nappy head back down in that sand. We chose you because you're a great operator. No. You chose me because I was the best operator. That's what you're not understanding, brother. For me, for Bo, being great is not good enough. You go outside the box. You're innovative, a self-starter. If we do it, we can't follow the rules. I'm not saying that excuses the way Bo is at all. I'm just saying it's something you ought to at least take into account. Got it, man. I got it. All right, look, I appreciate you talking to me, but did you hear what he said about Nate? 
Okay, that soundbite as we go into Military Corner was the SEALs. And basically for MRC, who I, I agree with a lot what they say, and I get a lot of information from them. Um, they said it was about white privilege. And, you know, that just shows, once again, the lack, the disconnect between the American people and the military. Um, it's not a racial thing. But there are very few African Americans in the special op community. I mean, per- percentage based upon total demographics of the army. But you, you just don't see a lot of black guys on SF teams. You don't see a lot of black guys um, in the Ranger Regiment. Um, there are some, but there's not a lot of guys that want to do that. Remember, it's not your liberal kumbaya concept this is a volunteer only only force not only signing up but a volunteer only force to be in special ops you just don't get a b in special ops you have to volunteer for it pass a very rigorous assessment for all of these agencies and you know it just seems kind of stupid so i I wanted to hit it but hit it from the other side (laughs) it's not white privilege um there's just not a lot of black guys that are in there so Whatever. This one disgusts me. U.S. Army decides that Bergdahl is entitled to 300 grand of back pay. Excuse me, stutter. Because I can't believe they're even considering it. He doesn't deserve anything. Uh, summed up pretty well. The money should go to the families of the soldier who were killed and maimed for while searching for him. And that's why I think that money should go. Most recent American KIA in Afghanistan reflect military's evolving mission. And they break down and show, you know, it's it's not back to the level of Iraq. But, you know, there, there's been a lot of KIAs. And we're all over the place in these small hot spots. And, uh, you know, you can't just put your finger on one area. They're everywhere. So that's pretty scary. This one, I could have put in hypocrisy, but I put it down in the military because it just, once again, go back to what I just said about the SEALs. This is Jim Acosta. Urgent. Trump tried to go to DMZ but failed per White House pool. Steve Smith said, why is this urgent? Adam Selzer says, this makes it sound like he failed to answer the Guardian's question. Barrett Tomic, an AP tweet, said it was weather, but this makes it sound so much more comical. Michael Sullivan, heavy fog forced them back. However, Acosta would rather just say fail because he's not interested in reporting the news with any facts absent of his own personal bias. Once again, a lot of media did it. Thousands of tweets. Very few retracted. And those that did, very little retweets it's their game they know it works and even though they're all every day on tv bashing trump for saying fake news or saying that's just horrible to the american people and the framers and that freedom of press is the most important thing we have blah 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 yeah they play the fake news game it helps them a lot very interesting article over on Task and Purpose. Won't read it. I think it's pretty much how we should look at things sometimes. Air Force Chief Master Sergeant Slain in Texas was everything the church shooter wasn't. 
It's the second time they've done an article on that, and I actually kind of like it, where they covered the cop, who also was a vet, who died in Vegas. The following soundbite is going to be a very interesting, I'm going to watch it, PBS documentary, which offers an unflinching look at the dark history of the VA. Even in its beginning, the Department of Veterans Affairs was seeped in wrongdoing in 1926, just five years after the establishment of U.S. Veterans Bureau, as it was called. Founding Director Colonel Charles R. Forbes was convicted of trying to defraud the government. More than 90 years later, the VA remains a government agency racked in controversy as it tries to balance the treatment of roughly 9 million veterans... I'm one of it, but I just don't go to them. And stifling government bureaucracy. The history of the VA and its failures are the focus of VA, the human cost of war. A new documentary set to air November 6th on PBS. Directed by Emmy Award winner Rick Burns, the film delves into the evolving role of modern VA in its near century of operation and the services that remain engulfed in systemic dysfunction as the agency struggles to provide much-needed care for millions of veterans across America. The film illustrates the true cost of war through the enormous sacrifice and subsequent negligence of those who serve in the armed forces. Here is a trailer. It is available for viewing online. I haven't seen it on my local PBS. Fix the broken promises! Fix the broken promises! What happened to this agency was that demand outstrips supply. The VA cannot continue business as usual and expect a different result than the one we have today. It will cost a trillion dollars to deliver on the promises that we have made. And we have no mechanism right now to pay for that promise. This, this, is, this is something, man. This is, this is our generation, man. All you people, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves, because it's really groovy. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct, and it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, we have right see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Gays in the military now. the crazy Stanford hiring admin to teach professors about implicit bias the Stanford University School of Medicine is hiring a new staffer's primary responsibility to be trained professors in microaggressions and implicit bias recent research however has called into question the empirical basis for such training suggesting that in some cases it might even backfire Mm, that's just crazy, crazy. What, what else? Jesus Christ, I know what else. Frat under investigation for Trump-themed Halloween skit. Troy University is investigating a fraternity for a skit they performed on Halloween in which they depicted President Donald Trump and Border Patrol agents chasing and capturing illegal Mexican immigrants. Is a white devil. I don't know how we do legal whatever. Jesus Christ. The skit captured a Snapchat, sparked outrage from students, the university, the CEO of the fraternity, resulting in public apologies and a town hall meeting for offending community members. They were just all beaten with the rubber chicken. No funny shit ever. Probably at no time in that brow beating was it should not make fun of the President of the United States like it would have been under Obama. It was like, oh my God, don't insult those Latinos. 
Jesus Christ. This one just, I cursed, I spit, and then I cursed. Like old school. Yeah, poo, 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 I spit on you. University art display, Axe's American flag. Yeah. University Nevada, Reno student recently created a provocative art display featuring an axe impaling an American flag, most of which lies crumpled on the ground. Some students, including military veterans, felt it was inappropriate for the university to condone such a display, but school officials defended it as an example of free expression. Mm-hmm. The space located in John Troy Building in the Student Gallery South Include a description from the artist explaining that the work falls outside of the normal realm of any of my previous or planned work and that it carries a strong political message. It captures the symbolic notion of change through the objects presented. My work is intended to shock and provoke a conversation that could be happening across the country. The display consists of several axes on the wall at progressively lower angles, the last of which impales an American flag. The public often has to be shocked in order to react, and through acts of appalling nature are occurring every day, there seems to be a serious lack of appropriate responses from our government and our people, writes this student artist, Mark Cocksucker Motherfucker Combs. My work is intended to shock and provoke a conversation. Hmm. This is why I didn't go to college, because I'd be in jail, because I'd beat the living fuck out of that piece of shit fucking pussy-ass unicorn snowflake. Thank you. I feel better. Multicultural office hosts stab a Trumpkin display. Once again, free speech, folks. The Board of Multicultural Student Affairs at Providence College recently invited students to stab a Trumpkin as a way of relieving stress, eliciting outrage from conservative students. Administrators removed the display shortly after being made aware of it by members of the College Republicans saying Trumpkins had never been authorized by the school. If you ever feel angry or stressed, feel free to stab Trumpkin, stated a chalkboard message next to a pumpkin with a pair of scissors stabbed into it. Yeah. See, multicultural just means no white people. That's what it really means. They are the racist. Professor bemoans toxic masculinity and capitalism in Disney film. Wait for it. Beauty and the Beast. So now Beauty and the Beast is sexist. Wow. If they're not trying to get gay frozen to be a thing, they, they got to dog the rest of them. Professor suggests using art classes to help turn out queer. Yeah, that's that's a title. See, it go. I told you. I've been telling you in my little foil hat, a la Alex Jones, for two years. The left just wants to brainwash everybody, so they got to get them early, and this is how they do it. A professor at the School of Art Institute of Chicago recently argued in favor of using art education to help kids turn out queer, complaining that heteronormativity is pervasive in school curricula. Adam Gretemann, a gay dude, suggests that we can and perhaps should help our kids turn out queer through queer affirmation strategies in class. Yeah. He teaches aspiring K-12 art teachers and published an article in the current edition of Peer Review, Helping Kids Turn Out Queer, Queer Theory and Art Education. 
This article explores the possibilities of queer theory in art education, and I playfully, perhaps provocatively, ask, ask how art education can help kids turn out queer. He writes, adding that there is a need for art educators to challenge fears around queer topics. This just reads to me, how do we make more kids homosexual so Democrats can win more elections? That's, that's all I'm hearing in this. And um, once again, I don't think in eighth grade to kindergarten, we need to be covering drag queens, queer thought, uh, gender neutral pronouns. They don't need to shit next to each other. There's plenty of time in high school and college for you to all brainwash them, progressives. You have plenty of time. Alt-left insanity. Libs think being a real man is toxic. Yet tell me you don't have that song, Macho Man, stuck in your head. It's amazing how far we've fallen as a nation in less than 40 years. When the village people had a hit singing about being macho to now where the alt-left thinks it's awful. And although the song is a bit sarcastic, it was embraced as a fun pop song to point where even Donald Duck performed it. There's nothing fun about the left's view of men right now. Amanda Mercotte's piece on the topic for the past two weeks have been themed columns. Then the shooting in Texas occurred. So here's Marcotte's headline. Toxic masculinity is killing us in many ways. Her column was unique, wasn't unique. This is uncommon alt-lefty idea. Here's one from the Guardian. Patriarchal privilege. Talking about spree killers, Marcotte says, there's a common theme here, toxic masculinity. This is one of those thing pieces that pretend to be rational when it's really not. Actual quote, toxic masculinity aspires to toughness but is, in fact, the ideology of living in fear, the fear of ever seeming soft, tender, weak, or somehow less than manly. Notice how liberals never live in fear about being being other than themselves. There's no major media outlet pushing wimpy pajama boys to be actual men, grow up, move out of their damn basement. No, the media ideal is to take men who act, you know, as a man and get them to act more feminine. It's a deliberate strategy. She goes on to mock the ludicrously long and shaggy beers of Duck Dynasty, and even people like myself who make fun of Pajama Boy. According to Marcotte, pr- proving manhood and warding off anything considering feminine or masculating is the main reason why we have so many damn shootings in America. Let's just distill it down to the sorriest, lowest form, common denominator of bullshit. Because it's just bullshit. It's outright bullshit. The problem in our country is we're not masculine enough. We have participated pro trophy all our young men. They're all either spending too much time in tight jeans so they can't procreate because it cuts off fucking sperm production, or they're sitting there wondering, how can I be more feminine so I can be part, I can be an ally for fucking pussy hat wearing people. Do you women really want to live in a world where men don't do anything? Because that means you got to do it. Are, are you going to go fight the wars? I don't think so. This one hurt my spleen. I love this show. But, that, but as of Wednesday, it's gone. It's no longer DVRing in the Reed household. ABC Fresh Off the Boat has Teenage Girl Come Out Lesbian. I'm not going to read the article. I'm just going to stay. It's not homophobia. It's not about I am a 
against gay people. I don't give a fuck. It's once again, this was a cute show about the 90s, an Asian family in Florida in the 90s. It was like a 90s version of the Goldbergs. And then I think their ratings started to slip a little bit. So they figure we got to bow to progressivism. And out of the blue, a girl that was the love interest of one of the male characters, as long as he was in this area, dated every boy on the planet, somehow becomes gay. And they spend two consecutive episodes of her coming out gay. Just to do it. Not part of the plot. Not part of the show. And once again, as I always say, if I was gay, this would piss me off. I'd be like, you're just doing it to try to get gay people to watch or be PC. I mean, we got to be able to be intellectually honest. If it has something to do with the plot, okay. I don't care. I continue to watch the show. Like Valor and uh, Brave, which I stopped watching because it was just horrible. They started out with their PC shit. You know, first pilot episode. Uh, we got the Muslim, check. We got the white guy, check. We got the black guy, check. We got a girl, check. We got a gay person, check. We got a transgender maybe person, check. All right, we, we've lined up all the PC checkpoints, so Glad will be happy with us. And then we do a show, but this is like season four. There's never been anything about gay. They even fly the gay flag, which is, I know it came out in 1972, but none of you knew the gay flag until last year. No rainbows were flying. I lived in Oregon, a bunch of gay people. I never saw a rainbow fucking flag until Obama and his gay revolution. I mean, seriously. So that's our crazy. Let's move on to some cool stuff. The fastest car ever made, Kosengeg. I don't know how to say it. K-O-E-N-I-G-S-E-G-G. Never heard of it. Reaches 284.5 miles per hour and record-breaking run on dead straight Nevada road. Clocked on average speed of 277.9. And it is the fastest car ever made. The fastest before was the Bugatti Veyron Supersport in 2010. It did 268. Hmm. Interesting and scary stat for renters, people who rent homes. Millennial home buying sends a chill through rental market. Homeownership has risen to its highest level since 2014, and most of them are millennials because they're finally really re- realizing, hey, it's better to own the house than to pay somebody else for a fucking house and it's usually cheaper this one goes into our tinfoil hat UFO conspiracy fresh mystery is inquest and death of conspiracy theorist who vomited two liters of black blood is delayed without reason some dude in in Poland who's heading to a conference and he puked this black blood and he died ugh not going to read the whole thing. <clears throat> but they're saying, he knew. He d- he just does, we believe, I believe, where the poster was for Fox Muller, he was abducted in the past. Mm. The old saying is, a woman scorn? Yeah, listen to this one. Angry woman gets flight diverted over cheating husband. An enraged woman forced an airline to make an emergency landing after she discovered mid-flight that her husband was apparently cheating on her. The woman, an Iranian national, was traveling from Doha to Bali with her husband and child on Qatar Airways flight on Sunday, India's Hindustan Times reported. 
As her husband slept, she used his hand, unlocked the fingerprint on the phone, found out. Angered, the woman reportedly started to hit her husband. The cabin crew intervened, but weren't able to calm the situation with the in-flight episode spiraling out of control. The pilot decided to make an unscheduled stop in Indian city of Chenna. Yeah, don't piss off a woman. <clears throat> Resistance is a four-letter word. Over 60 celebs say... Fuck Trump. Yeah, this is good stuff. So, it was a year of the F-bomb. Every single one of them aimed at the president. It's been 12 months. It's the 2016 election. And already at least 63 of the angriest Hollywood elites, A-listers, has-beens, teen stars, rappers, wannabes, have delivered a collective middle finger to the president. As if one voice, left-wing celebrities have said, Fuck you to Trump. Pre-election, when someone like Jennifer Lawrence said, Hey, fuck, hey Trump, fuck you sentiment made national headlines. Now the phrase is no, so common as a Twitter hashtag. The very first prominent fuck Trump delivered to the president post was from Cher. The latest comes from Billy Baldwin. It's not just minor celebs craving publicity. It's also big names. Drake, Madonna, Clooney, De Niro, Snoop Dogg, Samuel L. Jackson have all said fuck Trump. Hmm. In, in the country, we're just wearing the F word out in public once brought a case to the Supreme Court, Cohen versus California. It's horrifying to note how the American culture has become so desensitized to the word fuck. With the rise of social media, the only other administration that was subject to a viral phrase was Obama's reports, the Washington Post. However, the phrase used by both sides, whether sarcastically or genuine, was thanks, Obama. That's a far cry from what's being used to Trump. True. Whenever something went bad, you said, thanks, Obama. Now it's fuck Trump. Now suddenly all courtesy of creativity is gone. Rosie O'Donnell, mad that a Trump really happened, tweet, fuck Trump. Josh Charles, angered that Trump was elected, show up to the Women's March, threaten to blow up the White House, and stand on stage and say, fuck you, like Madonna. It's become a sixth symbol of emotional left-wing solidarity for celebrity to tweet or rant it. Stephen Colbert. Seth Myers has even flipped him off on TV. Keegan Michael Key, Michael Ian Black, Patton Oswald, Kathy Griffiths, Chelsea Handler, Dave Chappelle, Andy Richter, Michael Ramaport. Ironically, the rappers world used to love Trump dropping his name in their songs. Now with Snoop Dogg leading the rebellion with a video depicting a cartoon assassination of Trump, as well as an album cover himself standing over Trump course, YG, T.I., Drake, Soldier, Boy, Ice-T, Talib, Quail, Green, and Buster Rhymes have all said, Fuck you, Trump. Roger Waters, Bebby Baxson, J. Cole, Billy, Joe, Armstrong, Macklemore, yeah, Eminem. Eminem went even far with his rap diatribe the storm where he ends his four minutes of vitriol with enormous fuck you aim to Trump. Video was ra Rage, aired on BET's, inspired late night show Seth Meyers to flip him off again. Yeah. That's 2017 in a nutshell. And remember, conservative just said thanks, Obama. To our lighter fare.
as we started, we must end sometimes, and that is actually a video with a real diagram from a USA Today article. David Hookstead made me find the article. USA Today released a video claiming you can put a chainsaw on an AR-15. That's the most absurd gun claim I've ever heard. After getting trash from the world, they said to clarify the video shows both the shooter's modification as well as other possible modification. The shooter did not use a chainsaw bayonet. That's a fucking real thing. Me. Wow. The media can't screw up on guns anymore than they already have. USA Today, hold our chainsaw bayonet. Seth Davis. Oh my gosh. I thought it was a joke. A Photoshop. It's not. It's completely real. Bravo, USA Today. This is amazing. KTN Florida for putting together this masterful reproduction of my patented Rifle with rifle bayonet with rifle bayonet showing like five ARs shoved together without buttstock. I'll see your patented rifle with rifle bayonet with rifle bayonet and raise you a rifle with rifle bayonet with rifle bayonet with chainsaw bayonet with cigar, cigar, cigarette attachment extra deadly. Nick Short, we've hit peak. Peak idiocracy. This is an actual video by USA Today looking at the gun used in the Texas church shooting. They actually put that with the article. I was beginning to Photoshop something, but Leatherneck already did it. Who are we kidding? No half measures. AR-15 with MIDI nuke launcher on it. And seriously, people. Seriously. What the fuck? Fuck! Nobody has a chainsaw on their AR. But that goes to show they don't know the laws. They don't even know which end the fucking bullet comes out. But they're all experts when they got a spin for a lefty killing somebody. It's got to. In peak 2017, this is the most, most 2017 thing I've seen. In 2017, here is a Snapchat, or no, Instagram post by some African-American skank model, skank model, not me, my wife called her a skank model, sorry, make sure I say that right, because it'd be sexist for me to call her a skank. I mean, you can say whatever you want, if I had a D behind my name and I was Democrat, I could actually say skank, you know, model, that's fine, whore, slut. Make her out to be a deadly clown, it'd be okay, but you know, we can't. I'm a cis-normative white male who's a conservative independent. I don't get that special card. But this is her Instagram post. As I look off in the distance, I wonder how people can be so heartless. My heart goes out to the victims of the tragedy in Texas. I pray for Texas. Hashtag Sutherland Springs. She's standing on her tippy toes on a banister or leaning against a banister, in a thong bathing suit with her titties out, and her ass fully, just fully exposed. My response to her was, this is so 2017. I weep for those people killed. Take guns, then look at my ass. Because I don't know what she was angling towards. 
I just don't. Chris Diala, I think it's really cool how much this person really cares about the shooting. <laughs> I mean, I gotta laugh. I just gotta laugh. What the fuck? Here's my ass. It'll make you feel better. It, it goes into the category that one of the worst things I've ever seen. There was a video going out a couple years back of a little girl. At least that's what I thought she was. But she was a porn star. And they asked her, what do you have to say for the poor people that lost their families in that horrible tornado? And she looked at the camera and goes, to all the daddies out there that lost the little girls, I'll be your little girl and I'll let you fuck me. She literally said that at some porn show in Vegas. And I thought that was the most horrible thing I've seen. She was trumped, literally, by Porsche Adams with her naked ass. Yeah. But as is our way, before we close out, we always do something serious. And since I'm on a kick lately, as I've said a couple podcasts ago, this is from CNN. Born before 22 weeks, most premature baby is now thriving. Courtney Stenerud and her husband call their fun-loving spunky daughter a miracle. The now three-year-old girl was born at just 21 weeks and four days after conception. She may be the most premature premature known survivor to date, according to a case report about her birth published in the Journal of Pediatrics. CNN, you can't fool us with this baby nonsense. We're woke and we love science. Stephen Miller said, brave little clump of cells. Because in every other article, that's what CNN and the left calls it. But at CNN Health, actually put this out. I am sure it's been subsequently taken down. Additionally, this week up in Washington, nurses talked about abortion. And I bet you didn't hear this. I moved to New York in 2001, and I worked at a number of hospitals. In August of 2004, I was hired as an operating room nurse at a New York hospital, a hospital which receives millions of dollars in federal funding. When I was hired, the hospital assured me that I would never have to compromise my conscience and participate in an abortion. For five years, I enjoyed serving patients and received exemplary performance reviews. But on May 24, 2009, the hospital went back on their word. I was preparing for what I thought was going to be a common procedure following a miscarriage, only to realize that I was being asked to perform an abortion on a live 22-week-old unborn baby I was scared. I knew doing so would violate my conscience and commitment to protecting and saving lives. I immediately called the resident doctor on duty and my supervisor to find a sub. My supervisor informed me that I would have to assist with the abortion. I'm sorry. I reminded her in tears about the hospital's legal obligation to never force me to participate in an abortion but to always find a substitute nurse but she refused my supervisor insisted that i had to do the abortion 
and that if I didn't assist, I would be charged with insubordination and abandoning my patient. My nursing career and ability to care for patients and provide for my family would be over. I'll never forget that day as I watched in horror as the doctor dismembered and removed the baby's bloody limbs. And I had to account for all the pieces. I still have nightmares about that day, which is why I'm here today to ask to Congress to pass the Conscience Protection Act so that no other nurses or healthcare professionals are ever forced to go through what I did. I never thought in America that I would be forced to violate my conscience in that way. Please protect conscience rights for healthcare workers. Protecting conscience is essential to our ability to care for and ensure every patient is treated with dignity and respect. Thank you. That was one of about 30 standing there behind her. Media didn't cover it, but it was a actual hearing on it. And this is the effect of abortion on women. That woman was not cis white normative either. But you'll never hear it. You'll never hear the negative on taking babies' lives. You only hear the positive. Because the media just wants to have one agenda. And that's sad. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments by emailing foppodcast at gmail.com. Foppodcast at gmail.com. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic webpage at foppodcast.com. Foppodcast.com. To see links to feeds for the show, links to our Facebook page, and email us. There you'll also see a link to every episode on the episode release page and my blogs on the blog page. I am going to go off air for a romantic getaway next week. Heading out and getting my Don Juan on. So, next podcast will not be till the 20th. The 20th of November, Year of Our Lord, 2017. I'm going to do a 20th and a 24th that week. Um, I have, of course, Thanksgiving off, and I'll spend Thanksgiving with my beautiful wife. And then the 24th, she has to work because it's Black Friday, and that's her genre. And I will stay at the house and do another podcast. So we're going to collect some stuff, try to energize the podcast with a little different subjects. And I'm sure by the time the 20th rolls around, we'll have all new full outrage to talk about on the left. There'll be there'll be something going on. I. I'm sure Russia will be involved in it, and God, who knows. So until that time, all of you, enjoy your family this weekend. Over your where I live, down in the south, it is colder than a well digger's nutsack. And we got a fire brewing and some split, a split pea soup, a crock potting. Going to start decorating for Christmas this week, since we'll be off the grid next week uh, until the 20th. And ensure you get some family time in. The holidays are upon us. We are less than what? We're less than two weeks from Thanksgiving. So the 20th, we'll definitely do the history of Thanksgiving. Maybe do some fun Thanksgiving memory stuff. Um, but you got to make some memories, folks. So disconnect from your devices. 
Give your undivided attention to those that love you. Be safe as you go out and about. Holiday season, a lot of traffic, flying, a lot of injuries. So be safe out there. And until next we speak, as always, thanks for listening, my friends. And take care. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies.